This podcast contains graphic and explicit content, as well as all of the spoilers a movie has to offer. Listener discretion is advised. Hi friends! Welcome back to So Here's the Problem With That, where we watch every sci-fi movie ever made and tell you what's wrong with their sci- and they're fi. My name is Emily, and I'm a movie fan. And my name is Neil, and I have a PhD in high-energy experiment. Neil! Emily! Let me tell you what, we are on a fucking roll. We are stoked for this fucking movie. I'm so excited. You guys. All right, we're going to get into the movie. Neil! Yes? We have a science question that we... came in from a one Ms. At that girly gal. Yes, from Emily herself. From Emily fact. herself. So in our previous episode, um, part one of Starship Troopers, we talked about Robert Heinlein yep. and some of his movies. And you yes. had mentioned, offhandedly, that um, one of the main plot points for one of his books, don't remember which one, was... It's, it's The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. One yes. of the main plot points was that a colony of... Prisoners on the moon threatened to drop a shipping container from the moon to the earth, thereby shattering the earth. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, not... Okay, so let's... Let's Let's back up. Let's back it up a little bit. I'll... Maybe I'll put a little more detail into what exactly happens in the book. Excellent. For those of you who haven't read the book, don't read it. It's old and written by a fucking misogynistic old white man with an Oedipus complex. In the book, the guy... The main character of the book discovers that the central computer that is running the the prisoner colony on Mars is actually intelligent and has, like, gone through an awakening and is, like, alive and thinks for itself. And so he befriends this thing. And what ends up happening is that he ends up getting into a, like, political situation where he has a lot of power over, you know, the station because he's the repair person for the central computer. He knows the central computer. The central computer knows him. They become kind of buddy-buddy. And eventually he he asks the central computer, hey, instead of, like, we get all these shipping containers from Earth and we receive them here for, like, supplies, we always have to send the shipping containers back. Instead of sending them back the way that you normally would, why don't you launch them into an orbit around Earth so that with a slight nudge, they could be just, you know, knocked into the ocean. Gently. Or they will, following their own course, land on a city on Earth. Look, if you launch a, you know, multi-ton hunk of steel from the moon. Even empty, those things are heavy. Even, em- yeah, they're, they're 2,200 kilograms, which is, two, which is two metric tons. A little over two metric tons. That's a lot. Um, if you launch that at the Earth... It will do a lot of damage because it has, and also ones that you send into space need to be heavier than that because they need to be able to withstand re-entry into Earth's atmosphere. Sure. The moon doesn't really have much of an atmosphere to speak of. It does have sort of a little bit of an atmosphere, but it's not like really. It's like a baby atmosphere. So what ends up happening is that they end up dropping one or two of these on a city on Earth to show like earth politician federation whatever they're fucking being serious and they're like look we'll 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 kill them all we'll do it 
Um, and then they end up winning their freedom, and then they nudge all of the things back out so that they all land in the ocean instead of landing on cities, and then it's all, hooray, they win their independence. Okay? Uh, good shit. Emily asked, how realistic is it to launch a shipping container off of the moon and hit the Earth? Well, because I'm thinking, you're on the moon. Yep. You got a baby amount of gravity, but it's not nothing. Yep. How the fuck are you going to get it off the moon? And how the fuck are you going to get it to the Earth? And I absolutely believe and know for a fact, if it got off the moon towards the Earth, it would fuck some shit up. But I was like, how in the fuck do you get it off the moon? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <coughs> so, so here's... So you asked, could you do it with a slingshot? Could you? And I said... Depends on how big your slingshot is. Love this. So then... So excited. We ended up... Well, I ended up going down this rabbit hole of a couple of things. So first of all, I wanted to know, where is the tipping point between the moon and the earth where the gravity of the moon is balanced with the gravity of the earth? And if you're if you're on the moon side of it, you'll just end up falling back towards the moon. Which also would not be great. That would cause a lot of destruction, I would guess. Um, it's actually not that far away from the moon, oh, surprisingly. Never mind. Uh, so you actually probably you would you would fall, and if it were a person, like you would get hurt. Mm-hmm. But if it were a shipping container, it it probably wouldn't. It wouldn't really do that much damage to the moon. Okay. It's it's the it's the the part where you go past that, and then you enter into Earth's gravitational field. Well, not enter into it again, but now you are completely under Earth's gravitational influence. You are no longer under the influence of the gravity of the moon in the sense that there's no way you could fall back to the moon once you pass this point. Okay. So uh, it turns out that that point is... I want everyone to know Neil has a notebook covered in magic gibberish. I did I did have to do quite a bit of calculus for this, surprisingly. I, I really appreciate it. And you. okay, so the reason that you have to do a little bit of calculus for this is that the moon isn't very big and the earth is quite a bit bigger than the moon. Yes. Like in terms of mass difference, the mass of earth is about 100 times the mass of the moon. Wow. Um which is kind of impressive because uh, the moon is actually pretty dense. It means that because it's only about a hundred a hundredth of the mass of Earth, it means that it's probably made up of the same shit that Earth is mostly made up of, mm-hmm. and not in fact made up of things like the crust of the Earth. Sure, it's mostly made up of like the mantle of the Earth, which indicates that probably what happened is that we got hit by something really fucking big when, you know, the earth was either just barely cooled or not cooled at all, and it expelled a huge chunk of, like, earth's uh, mantle, goop, uh, out into space that just started orbiting. I love that. Yeah, fucking I love that so much. But that would not have been the theoretical asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. That's way the fuck after. Yes, that's so far after. And also a way smaller a way smaller impact Mm -hmm. was what killed the dinosaurs. This impact was large enough to literally launch the moon out of the earth. Part of the earth is no longer a part of the earth. (laughs) Yeah, out of the earth and then like so yeah, so probably what happened is that something hit the earth and then like gouged out a big chunk of Mm -hmm. it and then 
all that impact ended up like slowing that thing down enough that it just sort of got stuck caught in the in, gravity. Yeah. 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 So I love that. Okay, so anyway, the tipping point between the moon and the earth yes. is uh about 1858 miles off of the surface of the earth, of the moon. Okay. So it's not very far. It's yeah. like what is the, it's about two time zones. That's not very far at all. No, it's about two time zones. If you if you took like two time zones on earth and you kind of you know, flatten them out straight, stacked them on top of each other, and just stuck it to the moon. Um, where the second time zone ended would be roughly where the the moon no longer has any influence. Okay, so this is this is just over one percent of the distance between the moon and the Earth. Wow, that is so small. Yeah, which makes sense because the 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 the, the moon is about it, a hundredth okay. of the mass of the, of the Earth. Fair play. That's actually sort of how you do that calculation is you say like, okay, how far, you know, where is this, where is this tipping point kind of thing? Um, and that'll give you like a good idea of where the tipping point is um, or sort of roughly how far away that is. So one of the other things that's really where the calculus had to come in is how much energy does it take to get you from the surface of the moon to this tipping point between Earth. Yeah. And the real reason the calculus comes into play here is, one, gravity is actually changing substantially between these two points. Okay. The gravitational forces on, you know, an, a person, an object, whatever, between these two points, points goes from almost entirely controlled by just the gravity of the moon, which is about a sixth of the gravity of Earth, to being completely balanced between the gravity of the moon and the gravity of Earth. So that means that it goes from non-zero to zero, mm -hmm. and then once you hit that point, it'll go back up to the gravity of Earth once you hit kind of Earth's surface. Okay. So you have to you have to take the force that the moon exerts on you, and you have to take the 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 force that the Earth exerts on you. Okay, you subtract off the so it's force of moon minus force of earth because yep. you're leaving the moon. Yes. Right? And then you integrate that from the surface of the moon to whatever distance you need to go to, which is this tipping point. Uh, and that's how you find the amount of work that is required or energy that mm -hmm. you would need to put into a system in order to get something to that point. Yeah. Um, so that, that sort of depends on what you're trying to get to that point. It depends on, you know... Obviously, it'd be easier to launch a human, not that you should, but you could launch a human easier yes. than it. Yes, fucking, way uh, easier. Um, about, let's see, how much does the average human weigh? Like let's say 100 kilograms. Yeah. Uh, the average shipping container I found weighs 2,200 kilograms. So 22 times easier to launch a human than it is to launch the shipping container. Sure. All right. So it turns out that the amount of energy that you need for this is about four gigajoules. Love which is, science word. Which is a fucking great word. Or, uh, you know, three it point... It sounds made up. Like, yeah. Granted, all words are made up, but, like, that especially sounds made yeah. up. Yeah. It's, it's 3.9 times 10 to the ninth joules. Okay. And that's a that's 3.9 billion joules. And the prefix for billion in the science community is giga. giga. Love it. So, gigajoules. All right. The... Gigajoule. 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 Okay, so... The amount of energy that that actually is, 
So in in Minnesota, yes. your house, the average household in Minnesota um, per month consumes roughly this much energy. So like in a month, all of the shit that your house is doing, all the electricity that you're using to power your refrigerator, your electronics of any variety, your fans, your ACs, your you know, all the gas that you use to heat your stove sure. if you have a, a gas, gas stove. stove or to heat your home that you if you have a, a gas heater um, or to heat your water. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this energy that you are you is like the amount of energy that a, um, uh, a home consumes in Minnesota. Um, and it's 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 about that much. So. That's just sort of a scale perspective. Now, if you wanted to launch a shipping container off of the moon, you have to get it going real fast, okay? And you have to be able to effectively say, I'm going to take 3.9 gigajoules and I'm going to impart that much energy into the shipping container system and get it going towards Earth. Okay, so to do that, um, first of all, if you want your shipping container to make it to the tipping point, it needs to be going, I wrote it down, it needs to be going 4,212 miles per hour. See, that's real fast. Yeah. And it needs to be going that fast, like, pretty much instantaneously from the surface of... Zero to 4,000 in in, 2.5 seconds. uh, Yeah, or less. Or less. Um, So... So that's um, Mach five and a half. Jesus Christ! Um, which is and we're what's assuming. Cooking. Well, I guess not yet, but in the story, I'm assuming that they are not using rockets. They yeah, they are. They in are the story using rockets because the shipping the containers in in the book have their own like little guidance systems on them, so oh. that they can kind of guide themselves to wherever they need to go. Um, and that includes little, like, little thrusters that correct for... Which would make them even heavier and even more dangerous. Yeah, but not... I mean, the the fact that they need to be, like, titanium in order to withstand the fact that they are going to re-enter Earth's atmosphere at 24,000 miles an hour is actually more of a weight problem than adding on a couple of thrusters. Fair point. Um, the, the, the thrusters and the fuel itself is probably going to play a really small role there. So if you wanted to set this up in a trebuchet, okay? If you don't know what a trebuchet is, I highly recommend Googling it. Absolutely. They're fantastic. Don't Google it. YouTube it. YouTube trebuchet. Thank you. Yes. Uh, also, if you are interested in the biggest trebuchet to ever exist. Obviously. Oh, my God. Tell me everything. It was called Warwolf. Oh, my God. Except in the original uh, translation of it, it was actually written in French because this was during a time where France had had a huge influence on... Um, English culture. And so this was actually one of the kings of England in the early 1300s who had five master carpenters and 49 workers over the course of like five or six months build this trebuchet called the War Wolf. Fucking A, dude. Uh, it was also originally called the Loup de Guerre. Uh, because it was a uh, wolf. That's yeah, literally French. Liter- wolf. Yes, literally wolf of war. Um, and it was, uh, so the arm, when it was, like, relaxed and in its upright position, 
uh, stood about 100 meters tall. Jesus Christ. Which is about 330 feet or so. It was able to hurl 300-pound stones uh, over 200 meters at speeds of 120 miles per hour. Shut your fucking face. Yeah. In 13-something-something. In, in the 1300s. Yeah, 1304, I think, is when the, the first record of this uh, trebuchet was, was recorded. What actual fuck? Yeah. What, did they... So, granted, everyone was at war all the time at the time. Yeah, it was, actually, it was actually the King of England versus um, somebody in Scotland. Oh, so he could have just launched it into Scotland. Like, it, fuck you! Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he did do <laughs> he that, did. in fact. Dude, and it did, oh. like, just start crushing walls. And then yeah. he, like, sent them a note and he was like... You don't deserve my mercy, but I you you must surrender, Holy or I will kill you. Shit. Yeah, which is a fucking power play and a half. That is. Oh my god. Um, fuck, note to Emily: insert fucking Wikipedia link right the fuck here. Yeah, it's it. The, so the Wikipedia link is actually relatively short, but some of the history nerds out there absolutely go off about this thing. Oh, which is where I ended up finding more of the good information. Excellent. But Wikipedia has. Both the references to a lot of the medieval, like, research and also just has it conveniently there. So, yeah. Wikipedia article is good Amazing. enough. Amazing. So, if you wanted to construct a trebuchet on the moon. Yes. Okay, you actually have some things going in your favor. Excellent. Which is that on the moon, the trebuchet is actually going to weigh about as sixth of what it weighs on Earth. So, so you can actually build it... A billion pounds. You know, six six times as large... Yeah. With if you needed trees. to. With, with moon trees yeah. or, you know, steel or sure. whatever the fuck you whatever want. Whatever it right? takes. Some sort of lightweight, <laughs> super rigid... Uh, well, maybe not super rigid. Otherwise, then it would probably just shear and, yeah. and destroy itself. But, okay. So if you built the trebuchet, in order to... To launch the shipping container off the moon with a trebuchet, you would need to lift 24 million kilograms worth of weight 100 meters off the surface of, of the moon. And that would have to be your counterweight to launch the shipping container into space properly so that it, A, got the right speed and uh, B, had enough energy to actually make it like, to the tipping point. That's a big fucking trebuchet. Yeah, okay. So, the equivalent of that counterweight of, of 24 million kilograms is 215 adult female blue whales suspended 100 meters above the surface of the moon. <laughs> That's it. That's all I have. You got it. Adult female blue whales need to be on the moon so we can yeah. trebuchet a shipping container to destroy. And would it? Okay, I mean, no. you could use rocks instead or something. Yeah, but that's not nearly as fun. No, it's not nearly as fun. It would also actually, I mean, you know, trying to get the equivalent of <laughs> 215 female adult blue whales, A, to the moon sucks. B, you could probably just use moon rock, and that would be way better. Yeah. Because it would also be way denser than the average blue whale. I feel like they would have to mine out quite a bit of moon rock, though. Uh, oh, shit. I did this. I knew, I knew roughly what the density of moon rock was from the 
Armageddon episode. I did do a quick calculation. I feel like it was like three or four grams per cubic centimeter or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you would need a whole lot of it. A whole lot. But that is also like much denser than the average... Blue whale? Blue whale, because the average <laughs> blue whale is about as dense as, as the water in the ocean. Sure. Which is like uh, a little over one gram per centimeter cubed. Do you just know a little bit about absolutely everything? That's the whole point of a physics PhD. <laughs> Uh, yeah, also, like, the standard for the measurement of a gram, like, the definition of a gram Isn't it little... is, like, one cubic centimeter of, of fresh water oh. is how we defined, like, the... Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, at least that's how it used to be defined. It's probably defined a little bit better now. We There was a huge... Okay, so there's this, there's this institute... Um, that I think is based in the UK, but they're a, a global collection of scientists who get together and decide how all of the like standard measurements of a single unit of X is going to be measured. That makes sense that it exists, but it never crossed my mind that it exists. Yes. So uh, the standard for what is defined as exactly one second is the amount of time that it takes a particular cesium excitation to relax. Someone figured out it takes like like a it, it, it's it's as good a definition of a second as could ever be sort of ascribed. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just say one one thousand. No, yeah. Okay. Nope. Well. Um, the definition of a meter is the distance that light travels. In some fraction of a second. Yep. It, it's, it's based on the fact that, like, it's like, how long does it take light to travel, you know, so far? And then you measure it with the standard for seconds, and then you divide that out, and then you get what the distance of a meter is, is now how they define meters. Do they meet often? Can these um, things, I was there was a huge... Okay, so, change. well, they did recently... So throughout the 1900s, the standards actually changed pretty regularly because people kept coming up with better and better, more abstracted from human influence definitions. Okay. And which is good. yeah, which is good because like we want to have definitions that aren't like how precise is your machinery kind of thing. It's so now all of the definitions are um, based around physical constants in the universe. And have a lot, like, much more strict definitions. And they're sort of calculatable or, like, you know, getting enough data, you can get, like, an absurdly precise uh, measurement without actually having to rely on measurement tools that have some of these, you know, inbuilt flaws to them. Like, a meter stick is never actually exactly a meter because there's some tolerance for the production. You know, there used to be a stick. There, there used to literally be a piece of metal that they kept in a, in, a, in a room at a particular temperature. And that stick was defined to be a meter. That used so, to be the definition of one meter. A physical stick? Yeah, well, I mean, like, not like a wooden stick. Well, it was no, like but a it's rod a... of metal. And they're like, that's a meter. And they were like, at, at this temperature... 
this is a meter because all of like all metals expand and contract at different temperatures because that's how all materials well most materials work yeah so anyway a big aside to say yes it is possible to use a slingshot to launch something amazing a shipping container off the moon i'm so happy and it is a lot of work to do and i wouldn't recommend doing it um and also, the number changes drastically if you want to launch it away from the moon. Oh, sure. Away from Earth. Because you'd need less energy to get to Earth because we've got the gravity of Earth pulling it out. Whereas right. if you're launching out into space... Now you have both the moon and the Earth. It's a lot. Yeah. So... That... You're wonderful. Thank you so much for doing real fucking math. Yeah, you're welcome. For my dumb question. <laughs> you know, I, it's fun. It's fun. Sometimes you get to come up with an answer that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Like ridiculous. 215 <laughs> adult female blue whales suspended 100 meters above the surface of the moon. That'd be a big fucking trebuchet, man. And huge. Huge. God. The arm would have would to be... Would you be able to see it from from Earth, do you think? A trebuchet that big? Maybe. That'd be cool. If Yeah, the base would have to be... You could see your demise flying at you. Well, you wouldn't be able to see the shipping container. No, fair play. But you might actually be able to see a speck on the moon where the trebuchet was constructed because of how big it was. That's so fucking cool. Yeah. Oh my god. See, folks, you don't have to have a science question specifically about a, a movie. If we talk about something offhandedly and you're like, is that real? You can ask. I I do talk mostly about real things. I love it, mostly. and I I will I will usually preface it with this is not real. If it's if not, I, if it's not real. So, so if you hear me tickled. mention something that you're like, hey, wait, hold the fuck up, it send send a send a little message somewhere. Yeah, and I'll probably answer your question. Oh my god, that's a fucking delight. Okay. In our part one of Starship Troopers. Oh, Jesus. Definitely almost said Super Troopers. Super Troopers! Super Troopers! At some point, we're going to have to do Super Troopers just... Lights are going to find you? Shining like the sun? Super Troopers, lights are going to find you. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, neither here nor there. We put out... Oh, Jesus. Oh, I know what this is. We put out... I know what this is. ...a poll. And Neil, guess the fuck what? People voted in it. Hold on, hold on. Before you say, you must describe what the poll is in case people Mm -hmm. didn't see the poll. In case people didn't see the poll, uh, there was a poll of films similar to... Starship Troopers. We are going to do a poll in for this episode for Predator as well. And we said that what movie should we cover next? It doesn't have to be next, next, but it, but can, it will be added to the list. It will be added to the list and it will come up sooner rather than later. Sure. Um, and that list consisted of Total Recall. Uh-huh. Robocop. Uh-huh. Demolition Man. Yeah. And I, we, I, we asked our fine folks at home, what movie of these three similar-ish movies would you like us to talk about next? Again, not hard next, because it's our podcast, and if we don't want to talk about it, we're not going to do it. But guess who won Neil? 
Do you want me to actually guess or do you want me to tell you I don't know? I want you to tell me you don't know, even though I know you know, but that's okay. I have no idea who could have possibly won in an absolute landslide. In an absolute 100% landslide of all four people who voted, only one of which was me. <laughs> I will say I did not vote. You didn't? I did How not vote. How dare you, sir? You're right. Would you have voted for this film had you voted? I don't know. I haven't seen, I think, maybe any of these. Well, that's Oh, the I might part. have seen the original RoboCop. That is already on the list, and so I was kind of like, eh. eh. The one that was not, and again, one in the goddamn landslide, is Demolition Man from 1993. I've heard... People not say bad things about this movie. I've only heard people say good things about this movie, and that's distressing because I think they're wrong. Oh. And also, I have only heard that the thing that I will like about this movie is Wesley Snipes. Yes. Yes. All of that is true. Except I will say bad things about this movie. It's not good. Okay. No, good. it's not good. All right. Good place to start. Yep. Yep. Wesley Snipes is so Stunning. good. Absolutely breathtaking, and I want to touch him real bad. But 1993, Wesley Snipes. Not as much now, Wesley Snipes, but I mean, if he asked, I wouldn't say no. I just want to touch his arm or something. I don't, let me, I don't even know what Wesley Snipes looks like today. Bonus content, we're going to watch, and it's a double feature that Jill and Carly already have set up. Oh. To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. And Demolition Man is a, oh, is Jesus. a... Uh, double feature that we're going to do. If you have not seen To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, cannot recommend highly enough. Wesley Snipes, Patrick Swayze, and John Leguizamo are drag queens driving across the country. And they uh, get uh, their car stuck in a small town and they change everyone's lives for the better. It's a perfect movie. It is an American version of the Australian classic Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And I love it so much, and I grew up on that film real hard, and all three of them are perfect women. Are you sure you don't want to rephrase, I grew up on that film real hard? All right with it. Okay. Just thought I'd check. Yeah, no, it's it's a fair question. It's a fair also, question. I see Wesley Snipes today. I get it. You get it? Yeah. Him as a, a woman is gorgeous. I, yeah, I bet. Gorgeous. I will say, though, John Leguizamo, the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. Gorgeous. Wow. I love her. Hmm. Chichi Rodriguez is her name. She's the only one I remember because she was my favorite. Anyway, Wesley Snipes is a versatile actor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I miss him and I want him to do more. I know he was in the sequel to uh, Coming to America that I didn't see. But he's I know he was in. also in Expendables 3 in 2014. Excellent. He's uh, going to be a lot. I'm going to talk a lot about him because we're going to talk about Demolition Man. Thanks, everyone who voted, all three of which I can name it because we did it mostly in person. We did do it mostly in person. But that's all right. very funny. Next time, we'll have more people, probably. Maybe. 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 I don't um, know. <laughs> who's to say? But yeah, that's. I just wanted to slide that in. So we'll add that to list. Nope, not taking it back. Don't give me that face. I, no, no, I won't. <laughs> All right, on to the movie. I didn't give you that face to begin with. That was my face. <laughs> that's just that's just my face. That's just my face. <laughs> just the way it is. You just gestured to all, all of, of me. me. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Neil, we're here to talk about a movie. <laughs> we're here to talk about Predator, folks. Yeah, we fucking are. Neil, can you please tell the fine folks at home who have somehow missed the memo on Predator? What is this movie about? All right. A team of special force ops led by a tough but fair soldier Major Dutch Schaefer are ordered to assist CIA man 
Colonel AI. Oh, Al. Colonel Al Dillon. <laughs> it looks exactly I, like AI. You know, I have. I spend a lot of time in a place. I know. On a rescue mission for potential survivors of a helicopter downed over remote South American jungle. Over a remote. I think I missed a letter. I apologize. Not long after they land, Dutch and his team discovered that they have been sent in under false pretenses. This deception turns out to be the least of their worries, though, when they find themselves being methodically hunted by something not of this world. See, I love this synopsis because it is very similar to the Spy Kids synopsis, where they it focuses entirely on the first maybe 12 minutes of the movie. Yeah, and then it's like, hey... There's actually you're gonna get a surprise. the The rest of the movie is this last half of a sentence where something not of this world is hunting them. Like that's the movie. Yeah. The rest of this could not matter less. No. But it does highlight the fucking names in it, the movies in yes. the eighties. Dutch. It's I'm so excited. Uh, so Predator, everybody, released June twelfth, nineteen eighty seven. It runs for a crisp. Hour 47. That's a good, that's a good length for a, a movie. good length. It's not an hour and a half where you're like, is this even worth it? I mean, granted, almost always are. But hour 47, I love it. Uh, rated R, that's a hard R. Tell you right now, folks, that's a hard R. It doesn't say on IMDb what it's for, but I'll tell you right now, it's violence. <laughs> it's it gore. Is, yeah, it is violence and gore. <laughs> um, okay, Neil, I, there are, again, too many taglines, one of which... I think is not, I didn't write it down, but one of the taglines was a paragraph that I'm pretty sure was just the voiceover for one of the trailers. That's what it it read as. Can you please read for me my top four taglines for Predator? Yep, I got it. It came for the thrill of the hunt. It picked the wrong man to hunt. Not terrible. I don't hate it. No, I don't hate it. We cannot see it. But it sees the heat of our bodies and the heat of our fear. It's a little wordy. It's Don't like it. It's not my favorite. No. It tells you something about it. We can't see it. It can see us. But I'm like, eh. It's concise. Yeah. Knock, knock, knock a few words down. Yeah. In this movie, Arnold will experience every meaning of the word pain. And now we know Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep. Gonna be in this movie. And he's gonna be in pain in in high school. We had we had t-shirts, or we were talking about making t-shirts, because that's what you do in high school, about yes. saying, um, pain is nothing but French bread. Cause that's how you say bread. And, yes. Well and it's, made me it's pan, yes. but it I thought it was very funny. It, All right. I, it is it is amusing. Yes. So I'm the final tagline. This line. final tagline comes with a video, which I will post. I'm not going to have the audio play. But, Neil, this is the video that Taylor and I were telling you about. I am excited to watch it. I have not seen it. I'm so excited. Okay. Tagline. Tagline. Then video. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Neil. That, that was something else, folks. You, I... I go watch it. Yeah, it's in the show notes. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It might mean more to you if you've seen the movie first, but it also stands on its own. It's a fucking banger. 
I'm so it, fucking, I'm so tickled. I didn't know that I needed that until I had watched it. Yeah. And then I was like, I can't believe that I'd never even heard of this before. Oh. Oh. Taylor's going to be so bummed that I watched it without him. That I watched it with you without him. I mean, yeah, but also, he's not here. He's so. not here. That's his fault. That's his fault. Um, okay, so, genre tags for Predator. Action, adventure, horror, sci-fi, like we mentioned in the mini-sode. Would you like to know some of the awards that this movie... Please tell me about the awards. I, I want to hear how much people loved this movie. Okay, so, it's a mixed bag. We'll start at the top. It's not even a mixed bag. Yeah, no, the mixed bag comes way later. These are all, like, solid fucking uh, awards. Number one, Academy Award nominated for Best Visual Effects. Predator. Academy Oscar Award nominated. Best Visual Effects. 1988 for the 87 year, I believe. Wow. Um, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. These are the Saturn Awards. I don't know why, but I never made that connection before. So now, going forward, anytime that these films are nominated for a Saturn Award, I'm just going to say Saturn Award. There, It's a legit... It's like a big time I, yeah, award. I'm, I'm familiar with the Saturn Awards. We've yep. talked about them before. Yes, we have. So this was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Arnold. It won for Best Music. I don't oh remember the God. music, so I'm super excited about it. And then Best Special Effects. Um, this also was nominated for Best Dramatic Presentation Hugo Award. Again, Hugo, big time sci-fi awards. Yep. And then the NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Supporting Actor for Bill Duke. Huh. Yeah. I'm very, Bill Duke like is it. the one who shaved without a yeah. beard. Yep. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm very excited. It's, it's, I need, you know, let's think of a good jingle for Parents Guide. It's the Parents Guide. I don't know. I'll, I'll workshop it. I'll think of something. Uh, but Parents Guide time. Who's excited? Uh, parents Guide. Superstar. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep working. Um, sex and nudity? None. No sex and nudity. There are two sexual jokes told by Hawkins. They are jokes about female genitals and use the word P-star-S-S-Y multiple times. Um, Hawkins, again, this bitch, often talks about his girlfriend's genitalia, calling it as big as a house in one scene. Rude. <laughs> then, if that's what you're into. If that's what you're into, Hawkins. Um, there are three skinned male dead bodies discovered in the jungle. All of them are naked and castrated, so no private parts are shown. Yep. But that is technically nudity. Uh, oh, a female character wears a tank top. Okay. End of sentence. Yep. Thanks, Parents Guide. And then, <laughs> my fucking favorite, sweaty, shirtless, super buff guys throughout the film. But a man's chest is not nudity. It's like showing an angle. Was that in the fucking... Yes! <laughs> uh, what a weird, like, sexist, undertoned comment. Sweet. I f tell you what. If you, dear listeners, ever write into the Paris Guide, can you just email us? I want to interview you. I want to talk to the people that update the Parents Guide. So violence and gore, we've got severe. Yes. <laughs> severe violence and gore. Correct. Uh, several people are hung upside down, all skinned and covered in blood. Uh, a man gets shot by the predator's bolt. Uh, we see the blood spurt. Um, later, you see a shot of him with his ribcage burst open and his insides missing. So, yeah, great. Uh, a man's spine is ripped out of his body. Yes. Forgot about that. 
It's very um happens in every yeah happens in every predator movie yeah yeah Um, another I want I think it's the same person who wrote these last two but uh, a man screams in pain but death is not shown that is in violence and gore and then a man cuts himself with a razor I think that's the same person I guess I guess you could see that as gore I don't know if I would anyway anyway profanity is every single time my favorite part of the Paris Guide so. Because I don't have the fucking patience. I could never do this. I would get distracted. I would forget. I would not. I would be of no help. Uh, Profanity is moderate. There are 24 uses of the F word in which eight are paired with mother. There's two in Spanish. Many uses of shit and uses of a homophobic slur. So good to know. Um, Other profanity like ass, damn, goddamn hell, plus crass insults like P, star, SSY, cocksucker, and bitch are all used. Seven words you can't say on television. None of those are the seven words you can't say on television. Cocksucker, motherfucker, tits. Oh, you're right. Cocksucker, motherfucker, tits. All right. Uh, But tits, you can. Tits, they changed. You can do that now. Damn. I know. The way I found out about that is after George Carlin died, they were always talking about the seven words, and it was, they would show him saying it, and it was just beep, 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 tits. (laughs) (laughs) Or and tits. It's all good. All right. Alcohol, drugs, and smoking. There's mild. Main character lights and smokes a cigar, as all badasses do, obviously. Gotta smoke Um, a cigar if you're a a big, burly man, I guess. Obviously. Some characters drink whiskey or another alcoholic beverage from a flask to cope with stress. The coping with stress is my favorite part of that sentence. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, One character uses chewing tobacco a number of times, although it is condemned by another character. And then frightening and intense scenes. This is moderate. So this is really re- that's what I mean. According to the I would have I would have said severe. Well, they say, but severe is violence. Is this frightening and is this intense? It's more of like a, a simmer. I would say it's more like a not again not not a psychological thriller, but you know it's it's tension more than it is outright fear. Okay. Uh, but it is rated R for strong, gory violence and disturbing images throughout and for strong language. This is in the parents' guide. This is not Emily saying this. Um, there's an intense battle near the beginning involving 30-plus deaths. Yep. And then when the predator removes his helmet, this is frightening and intense. So when he removes his helmet, it has four front teeth that covers his actual mouth. Wait, what? It has four front teeth that covers his actual mouth. He's got small eyes and dreadlocks and it growls. I don't know the dreadlocks are involved i find that neither frightening nor intense but who knows it's the 80s some people are racist some people are racist and then they write it down in imdb okay neil so more like this like i mentioned last time i have why is no no i i listened to the algorithm neil the almighty algorithm told me what to do okay so here we are We do not yet have all of the votes in for uh, uh, Starship Troopers Part 1, more like this. When, and if you listen on Spotify, please do vote in our poll. Which one is your favorite? Which one should we add to our list? So here's more like this for Predator. Number one. Oh, and I also included the taglines that were just on the posters for all these films because they were pretty great. Number one, more like this. Predator 2 from 1990. Makes sense, right? More like this. I, Predator 2 from 1990. Tagline, he's in town with a few days to kill. 
which I, I liked I, too much. Too cheesy. No, they it's leaned, perfect. No, they leaned too far into no, it. Perfect amount of cheese. This takes place in... Oh, here, well, I'll tell you. The Predator returns to Earth, this time to stake claim on the war-torn streets of a dystopian Los Angeles. So this is a future dystopia. Los Angeles is uh, just a war zone between... Um, uh, gangs and I think the police, but mostly just so gangs. So Los Angeles. So Los Angeles. But it's like, I don't know, worse. And the Predator's here. He's like, gonna fuck some shit up. And I think that tagline is absolutely perfect. Sure. So more like this. Option number two. Predators from 2010. Tagline, the hunt is on. I mean, it's very close to the original, so. I mean, yeah. Also, 2010. Yeah. I should have looked up exactly how many Predator films there are. There's a bunch. Not even counting the Predator verses. Uh, but a group of elite warriors parachute... I'm going to try that one more time. A group of elite warriors parachute into an unfamiliar jungle and are hunted by members of a merciless alien race. So it's, again, very similar. Just a rehash with extras. Yep. Much like Aliens from 1986. This one didn't have a tagline on it, but it would have been great if they did. Decades after surviving the Nostromo incident, Ellen Ripley is sent out to reestablish contact with a terraforming colony, but finds herself battling the alien queen and her offspring. I, I'm gonna put a hard no on the Alien series. What? Because well, Alien One is already on the list. You added it. Oh, that's a damn shame. Yeah, but Aliens is a better movie. I don't know about that. It's more fun. Is it not part of the Alien series? Oh no, it is. It's just fun. I see. I I don't know what the difference is for me, but Aliens is like unsettling and terrifying. Mm. Oh, it is Predator. Yeah, and Predator is like. Fine. Here's here's the distinction I will make. If we are staying away from horror films, we should take Alien probably off the list, even though it's got better science and a better story and probably better action. I don't know about that. Aliens is much more of a 1986 action movie. It is okay. way less horror. Okay. I will let you think about it. All right. But at we'll, one point, there was a rule that we would only we'll do the discuss. first in a series. Yes. We will discuss, we will debate. Aliens is my personal favorite of the series. I think the I think the only the first of the series could be amended to only one of the series. I think that is fair. There are several series out there where the first of them is not the best of them. It is not the best of them. So that is Aliens, which, can we just talk real quick? about just chef's kiss uh, uh, marketing. The only difference that they did for the naming of the second one, it's not Alien 2. It's not whatever, it's Aliens. Yeah. To imply... More than one. More than one. And it is so good. Okay. Then, number four, Alien Cubed. I, I, I couldn't get it to, on my notes, I couldn't get it to be the little three, so I did the carrot. I think it's Control-Shift-P. I'll try that next time. But, I mean, how many fucking movies is going to be cubed? But Alien Cubed, let me tell you right now, this is not a good movie. Uh, this is I, 1987. Yeah, I don't know why it would be. I did not realize it was so close after the second one. 
Um, but returning from LV-426, Ellen Ripley crash lands on the maximum security prison, Fiornia 161, where she discovers that she has unwittingly brought along an unwelcome visitor. Da, da, da. Yeah. Um, the movie poster for Alien Cubed, which is the only, I doubt that's what they want you to call it, but that's the only way I'm going to call it because that's the way it's fucking written. It said three something along the lines of three times as much. The uh, fuck I don't remember. It was like three lines. It was like three times as much this. Three times as much that. Three times as much alien. And I'm like, wow, fucking. Three times as much alien is too much alien. It's a lot of alien. So, folks who listen on Spotify, vote for your favorite. Which one are we at the very least going to talk about? Predator 2 from 1990, Predators from 2010, Aliens from 1986, or Alien Cubed 1987. Neil, would you like to learn about some of the folks involved in the making of Predator? Please tell me all about these people. I know very, I know one person from this movie. Is that person Arnold Schwarzenegger? It sure is. Well, congratulations. We're going to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger after we talk about Jim McTiernan. Should have looked this up. Tiernan. Damn, Tiernan. Jim McTiernan. So he is known for Die Hard in 1988, which I did not know he directed. He's Best known, Christmas movie ever. It's. I mean, I have definitely seen it. <laughs> it's got Snape in it. I know. It's a, it's a classic. It's a big blind spot. It's a blind spot for me. I will see it at some point. You should watch it for Christmas this year. I should. We should watch it we for Christmas. We should watch it for Christmas. Can we do science? People get flung out of buildings and they don't liquefy. Why would they liquefy when they're... Because they're from building? that high to that low, hitting cement, their body should just... Okay, we'll talk about it. Fuck yeah, bonus content. I'm going to preface all this by saying he has not directed a ton, but the ones he's directed are fucking bangers. Yeah. Except for like one that I'm pretty sure ended his career. Um, last, okay, there's two. Two that ended his career. Rollerball was in 2002. That was really the last main movie that he made. He's not dead. He just stopped making movies. Um, The Last Action Hero, 1993, also starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I looked up. It looks kind of cute. I'm probably going to watch it. I won't make you watch that. Um, And then Predator, he's also known for in 1987. So he started, again, he is not directed a ton. His first movie was 1986 Nomads with Pierce Brosnan. It's like demon ghosts. I don't know. It looked kind of cute. Cute enough. Um, seems good. Seems fine. Uh, so yeah, that was 1986. Predator, 1987. Then uh, Die Hard, 1988. Like he had about a 10 year window where he was just banger after banger after banger. Because then uh, Red, Hunt for Red October, 1990. He I mean, directed that. Historically, that movie slaps. Have I seen it? No. No. But I, does everyone, everyone fucking loves yeah, it. Yeah, does everyone rave about how good it was? Yeah. Sure do. I mean, uh, uh, Sean Connery. I think he's a Russian. Has he ever done an accent other than his own? Doubtful. Remember that time? You don't Hard remember. Doubt. I'm going to ask the people at home. Remember that time? Sean Connery played a Spanish fucking swordsman in Highlander with a Scottish accent? Because I do. I'll never forget it. In there forever. Um, okay, uh, uh, Jim McTiernan also directed Die Hard with a Vengeance in 1995. Also haven't seen it. Then 1999, he directed The Thomas Crown Affair, which is a 
sexy fucking movie with Pierce Brosnan and oh, the gal's name is escaping me, but there's a sex scene on a set of marble stairs that is whoa spicy. Uh, Pierce Brosnan. That sounds uncomfortable. Oh, there's no. That's that's the the high fantasy part of filmmaking right there is that you would ever want to do that, but you know when you're watching it from afar, it's great. Sure, it's great. Does the job. Um, but yeah, Pierce Brosnan is a, a very rich playboy who just for funsies, for kicks and giggles, steals art, and then he meets another art thief, and they have sex on marble stairs. Like it's it's great, and I highly recommend it. Okay. <laughs> Then, in, so that was 1999. Also 1999 is The 13th Warrior, which I know we talked about during Spy Kids, because Antonio Banderas oh. was in this. This is a uh, a retelling of, of sorts of the Beowulf story, hmm. where, anyway, it's a wild movie, and I don't recommend it. Um, oh, and then Rollerball in 2002. Rollerball is, I believe, the film that finally ended uh, uh, good old Jim's career. It is a remake of a 1975 movie starring James Caan, which wasn't good back in 1975. And then they remade it in 2002. And it was awful. I remember (laughs) I was 12 years old, and I remember seeing commercials for it, and I'm like, I don't think that's going to be very good. I akin it to... Torque. Do you remember that film? No. Okay. So what is Torque? Torque. Oh my God! I'll send you a link. Torque is, uh, it's kind of like Fast and the Furious with motorcycles, but it's also kind of heightened. Adam Scott is in it, and he's got a bad wig. Ice Cube, I'm pretty sure, was in it. I think that tells me a lot about that movie. It really. It's all you need to know. And and I akin Rollerball to that. So just you wait. Let's talk about his awards. So, number one. <laughs> sorry. Number one, Jiminy Tiernan uh, was nominated for a Yoga Award for the worst remake of, of Rollerball. It was nominated and won. He won for Rough. worst remake. Rough. Um, Stinkers. What are the Yoga Awards? Yoga Award? Yoga. Yep. Nope. Definitely. <laughs> what that you were over here? Uh, I have no idea. Let's find out. Dear Google, what's a Yoga Award? A group of Catalan film critics? Amazing. Yeah, I don't know. Wild. I don't know what the Yoga Award is. But they gave gave Rollerball Worst Remake. Stinkers, we mentioned Stinkers um, in our previous episode about Starship Troopers. It is much like the Razzies, but it came out a couple years before. It, um... (laughs) This is my favorite award I've ever heard of. He won... For worst sense of direction, parentheses, stop them before they direct again for oh, Rollerball. Oh, God. Uh, also, his his picture, Last Action Hero, won for worst picture. Oh, double fucking... Yeah. Uh, double stake to the heart. Oh, don't you... Oh, just you wait. He also won two Razzies. One for worst picture, one for worst director for the Last Action Hero. Oh, bummer. But he won a... Saturn Award for Best Director for The Last Action Hero. <laughs> okay, so then, all right. So then, I don't know what to make of that. I don't then. know what's going on. If people are like, if people are like, if the critics are like, this was a good movie and everyone else is like, man, this movie fucking sucked. <laughs> yeah, I I will watch it. I will report back because it looks interesting. It It's this kid finds a magic ticket somehow, and he's transported into the world of his favorite action hero. Mm. And it looks very 
camp, very tongue-in-cheek. Very, it looks super interesting in the trailer that I watched, so I don't fucking know. Sure. Also, Die Hard was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film by, like, seven foreign language awards, or seven foreign critic awards. So everyone outside of the U.S., I mean, everyone inside the U.S. loves Die Hard, too. But, but it was also, it was nominated for a bunch of things. So... He stopped directing. No, there's one film after Rollerball, but that was, really, that was it. That was about where he ended. And he's just enjoying his life. Good on him. Good for him. So this was written by Jim and John Thomas. They are brothers. Oh. Um, They are both, and I'm only going to read the one because it's identical for the other. Uh, They're known for Predator. It says they're known for Prey, the Predator movie that just came out in 2022. Hmm. It was a Hulu exclusive. Yeah. I believe it's super fucking good. It says they're known for that. It's just the characters. Because they created the characters for Predator, they get credited every time the characters are used. Got it. So they're known for, but they didn't really have much to do with it. Do Prey's fucking sick. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's wow. so good. Okay. Um, they also wrote Wild Wild West in 1999 starring uh, Will Smith and Kevin Klein uh-huh. and Kenneth Branagh uh-huh. and that giant mechanical spider. <laughs> I love And Selma Hyde's in that too. Dude, it's not good. It I, sounds, you know how much I love bad movies. Look, you said giant mechanical spider, and I I did get everything I needed to know about this movie. And there's a train that can bring you anywhere in the country that you need to go. Oh. It just... That's convenient. Does. Huh. What are tracks? Yeah, don't, don't worry about it. Yep. And then uh, they're also known for a film called Executive Decision in 1996, which was Kurt Russell and Halle Berry... And it it looked like a action movie from 1996. Yep. That's what it looked like. Um, other things that they wrote, Predator 2 in 1990. Okay. Mission to Mars in 2000, which I definitely added to the list. Have not seen. I, I remember, I vaguely remember when it came out. I was like, oh, I was 10. So like, you know, I watched a lot of trailers. That's what I'm learning about myself is I watched a lot of trailers when I was a kid mm. or watched a lot of TV and trailers were on. Yeah, yes, I both. I have so many memories of like, oh, I remember that trailer. Oh, I remember that. Oh, that person was in that. Like, I know these things and huh. never seen it. Anyway, Mission to Mars. It, there's a, the first manned mission to Mars. I think they make it there, and then there's a storm, and only one person survives. So then a rescue mission goes out, and Don Cheadle... Dude, the the cast was fucking stacked, but Don Cheadle's one of the main actors, and um, the storm might not be all it appears to be. I don't know. I think it's going to be fun. But it's also on Mars. Um, another thing they wrote was Behind Enemy Lines, which, Neil, I have heard about Behind Enemy Lines... Most of my life. 2001, this film like came the, out. Like, you've heard about the I've movie? I've heard about or the just, movie, okay. Behind Enemy Lines. And I was like, I, I assumed it was something akin to, like, a Tom Clancy uh, a novel yeah. type. It yeah. might even be. I, I really don't know. Do you know who the fucking star of Behind Enemy Lines, this war action movie, also starring Gene Hackman? Do you know who the star of this movie is? Um... Gene Wilder. No, but I would watch that. Yeah, I don't know. Owen Wilson. <laughs> so so kind of Basically actually Gene, Gene Wilder. Wilder. <laughs> Owen fucking Wilson was an action star in this quote-unquote classic. I don't know if it's actually a classic, but like, 
I saw that. I'm like, you've got, what, am I having a stroke? What is happening? Wow. There was a time when they, the powers that be, wanted Owen Wilson to be the biggest star on the planet. Yeah. I love and Owen I'll Wilson. be damned if he's not one of the most recognizable people in Hollywood. Oh, he's great. Every time I see him, I'm happy to see him. I just was unprepared to see him in an action role. Yeah. <laughs> I was not prepared. Um, <laughs> uh, they won. They won. They, it's listed under their awards that Prey won for Outstanding Television Movie. It won an Emmy for an Outstanding Television Movie. Again, they didn't really have anything to do with it. But just further proof, you should see Prey. You, Neil, and you, the folks at home. Um, but they also won a Razzie for the worst screenplay for Wild Wild Fest. Oof. She roll bad. Um, okay, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Arnold. Yeah. Oh, this man. Fucking slaps. <laughs> He's great. He also seems, like, I, I do not agree with all of his politics, obviously, but he does seem like a genuinely good person. When I see him pop up on the internet, he's like, doing nice things and saying nice things to people and like he's got we're on the same side of a couple issues but i don't know he seems he seems nice i like he him seemed, i i like him because he he has a lot to say about like anti-fascism sure the fuck does and he's he's like no i've i've seen what what this does to a person i know where this road leads don't go don't do this yeah yeah i i i I grew up around broken people because fascism ruined everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I I also, despite the fact that he ran under a conservative ticket, like did a lot of like really liberal progressive things, yeah. which kind of fucking slapped. Yeah. Uh, and as far as I know, he doesn't have really a whole lot of bad things to say about people who don't deserve bad things to be said about them. I think that is very accurate. No, he seems like a pretty rad dude. I, I enjoy him, um, having never met him. I know you're a loyal listener, uh, Governor Schwarzenegger, so thank you for your patronage. If I say it enough... Five-time Mr. Olympian? Yeah. Recently dude. surpassed by uh, Seabum, Chris, uh, Chris Bumstead, I think is his name. Anyway. I believe you. Sure. Great. Um, okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger, his known for, I I question. I know it's all part of the algorithm. I question what it's known for. But we'll start with Terminator 2 Judgment Day from 1991. Fucking love that movie. Dude, that movie, like Terminator is a perfectly fine, you know, medium budget movie. Mm -hmm. Terminator 2 is a fucking banger. It is so good. Um, he's also the sixth day came out in the year 2000. Neil, I'm going to tell you the plot about the sixth day because it's going to come up in his awards. So uh, a man meets a clone of himself and he stumbles into a grand conspiracy about clones taking over the world. Hmm. Mikhail, if you're listening, I just want you to, to, to know that if this were this movie, that if I were in this movie, you know what would happen. Yeah, Mikhail. I'll tell you off air. I'm very excited about this. Uh, but so that's the sixth day. I, I I did not add that to the list. It didn't. Yeah, it doesn't sound particularly doesn't sound, inspiring. No. It, Cloning is fascinating technology, but I think we can find a better sci-fi movie to talk about. Cloning. I think that is very true. 
Um, also known for, obviously, Terminator, 1984, and The Last Action Hero, 1993. I'm pretty sure the algorithm put The Last Action Hero up there because I was doing such deep dives into The Last Action Hero that I ran it up the charts, personally. Classic. So, I do not agree with his known for. But let's get into the rest of his films, shall we? Obviously, he's got a bajillion and a half um, credits, so I didn't get into everything. But his very first film... 1970, Hercules in New York, where he played, obviously, Hercules. Because he looks like a fucking Greek god. Yeah. Young Arnold. <laughs> There's a reason he won Mr. Olympia five times. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I did look it up. Chris Sebum, four-time winner, two-time runner-up. Ooh, so he's coming. He's, he's coming yeah, for he's, that. He's coming for the title. Do they do that every year or is that yeah. every couple years? Nope, it's oh, every year. Every year. Young Arnold was just a... A specimen. Case in point, he played, uh, oh no, what's his name? I want to say it's Mickey Hargitay uh, uh, in the Jane Mansfield story, which is a TV movie in 1980. I bring this up because Jane Mansfield, she was a big star back in the uh, 50s and 60s, question mark. Um, And she married Mickey Hargitay, who looked like Arnold. Mm -hmm. He was just a... A triangle of a man. Yeah. Um, a Dorito of a man. He was a Dorito of a man. Uh, maybe even a Frito. Like, he was, he was thick all around. Damn. Um, and they got married, and Jane Mansfield was like, I'll show you a picture. She's one of the most beautiful women of all time. And their daughter, Mariska Hargitay, from Law & Order SVU. No? Nothing? I, the, the, the only, folks at home know who Mariska Hargitay is. I'll tell you that much. I only know, I think it's Ice-T. Ice-T is also. From SVU. Yeah. That's, that's literally so the only know, person from that show that I know. You know the gal? The only woman who's been there forever and ever and ever? You know her face? <laughs> no? no. I'm going to look it up. Look it up right now. Mariska Hargitay. I, I, anyway, that's her parents. And Jane Mansfield, and I think Mickey, they were killed in a car accident. Horrific car accident. But, yeah, I, I didn't know that he was in that, but he's very good casting. 1982 was Conan the Barbarian, which was one of, like, it's not a good movie, but people fucking love that movie. And is really the first time that he was like, yeah, you know her, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ringing, ringing bells. Yeah. So Jane very Mansfield. Very face. Yes. Uh, yeah, Jane Mansfield was her mother, and I love her so much. Anyway, um, Conan the Barbarian was really his first big breakout role. Yep. And it's perfect because he's not supposed to be able to talk very well, and he's supposed to look like a Greek god. Check and check. Um, and he did Conan the Barbarian in 1982. He did Conan the Destroyer in 1984. He was also in Red Sonja, which is a, a spinoff. I don't remember what year that was, but he was in that too. Commando, have not seen it. It's from 1985, but I know that's another one of his big, iconic roles is Commando. I don't know what it's about, but I know it's a real thing. It's about people being nude sure. underneath their pants. Probably. Odds are. I mean, uh, The Running Man. Again, haven't seen it, but I know it's a classic. 1987. I don't remember. I I, I know The Running Man is, is very popular. Twins! 1988. Have you ever seen Twins? No. Okay, so Arnold Schwarzenegger and his twin Danny DeVito... Yeah, that's the correct face. That's the correct face. It's exactly what you think. It's a it's a rump. There was a plan very recently, within the last, you know, five years. To remake. To sequelize. Oh my god. Triplets. 
Do you want to know who the triplet was? Guess. Just fucking throw Just out any name. Any name. For uh, triplets. For triplets. Uh, Michael Sarah. Ooh, no, but that would have been good. Eddie Murphy. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Accurate. Yep. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to happen, but that would be great. Um, Total Recall is on our list. That's 1990. Kindergarten Cop, also in 1990. So here's my story about Kindergarten Cop. Oh, boy. So my father was in the hospital with cancer in 2000 and much of 2001. And I went to visit him. We went to visit him all the time. And there were movies that you could borrow that you could watch in the room. And I demanded we watch Kindergarten Cop because I got it confused with a kid's movie called Cop and a Half. Neil, let me tell you what, Kindergarten Cop is not a kid's movie. <laughs> that is a hard R, guns a blazing film where um, uh, 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 Arnold Schwarzenegger pretends to be a, a kindergarten, he goes undercover as a kindergarten teacher to stop, I don't know, something. And I swear to God, the look my father gave me the second time there was a gun battle <laughs> will live in my soul. Forever. He was like, are you sure? This is the movie this you thought it was? And of course, you know me, I can be very stubborn. And I was like, this is the yes, one. This is it. This is a kid's movie. And the whole time I'm like, not a, kid's, not a kid's movie. movie. I don't think. So I'm like 10, 11. I'm like, I'm probably not supposed to be watching this. No. Oh, that's a fun movie, though. It's not bad, honestly. Fair. You know what's better, though? Fucking True Lies. 1994. Have you ever seen True Lies? No. It's so good. I believe it's James Cameron, if I'm not mistaken. And it's fucking Jamie Lee Curtis looking so good. <laughs> so good. There's a striptease in there that you will remember for the rest of your life. It's great. Highly Excuse recommend. Excuse me? Yeah. Google that <laughs> shit. Um, 1994. Oh, God. He had so many just that... Late 80s into early 90s, but uh, 1994 also was Junior. Have you ever heard of Junior? No. Oh, you're going to hate this. Look me oh, in the windows boy. of my soul. He's uh, a man who gets pregnant through uh, uh, injections. He's a scientist who's trying to uh, see if he can get a man pregnant, and it, it works. It's a weird movie. I... I know... That there I'm are people who identify as male who can have children. This is not that case. Yeah. This is... I am I am not pleased. Yeah. 1996, Jingle All the Way, also starring um, Sinbad. I don't think that was a very good movie. I remember enjoying it as a child. I'm pretty sure that was not a good movie. But you know what is an objectively perfect movie? Absolutely no notes whatsoever. 1997's Batman and Robin. Ice to see you. Yes. <laughs> that's my that's my Arnold. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, okay, so real quick, in 2002, he was in two episodes of a PBS show that I watched a lot of called Liberty's Kids. Why did I watch a lot of this show when I was 12 years old? Unclear. It is about the American Re it's a cartoon about the American Revolution. And he played Baron von Steuben. And uh nice. Yeah, that's, I just, I was like, I forgot about that show until I read that name. And I'm like, oh my God, the memory just. Coming back. Coming back. Um, the first.
first time he was in The Expendables was in 2010, but it was an uncredited voice role or voice, yeah, voice um, over. And, but you would be like, wait a second, I recognize that accent, but it wasn't until 2012 where he that was he in Expendables actually showed two? up in Expendables two, I believe so, and he's been in all the Expendables since. I'm pretty sure. And then in 2021. I only wrote this down because I really like the name of his character. But in 2021, he was in Stan Lee's Superhero Kindergarten. He was huh. in 26 episodes as Holy shit. Arnold Armstrong. Nice. I like it. I yeah. liked it. Valid. All right. <laughs> so, he produ- uh, we're now to the awards section. There's some good, there's some bad. We'll start with a pretty good one. He was a producer on a documentary called... Um, Years of Living Dangerously. It's about climate change. And it won an Emmy for Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction um, Film. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Also positive, Teen Choice Awards. He was the choice movie actor for Terminator 3. And Saturn Award. Oh, my God. Fucking. Okay, he was nominated for all these. He did not win them, but still, it's an honor just to be nominated. Best Actor Saturn Award for The Terminator Predator. Total Recall, Terminator 2, Last Action Hero, True Lies, and The Sixth Day. And in 1992, he did win a Life Career Award. Also, still on the positives, look at all these fucking awards. Like, there's so many goddamn awards. Holy shit. Yeah. 35 nominations and, like, 31 wins or something like that. But I think, I know you like the weird one, so here's a weird one for you. He won Best Audio Commentary uh, for the DVD Exclusive Awards for Conan the Barbarian and Total Recall. Which makes me want to go listen to those commentaries. I am intrigued. Also, the fact that there is a DVD exclusive award. Love. Love everything about it. Yeah. We have talked before about uh, Blockbuster Entertainment Awards that, you know, fucking blockbuster. He uh, was nominated for Favorite Actor for End of Days and Favorite Supporting Actor for Batman and Robin. Um, He was nominated for a Golden Globe, Neil. For best actor for Junior, a golden globe. Why? <sighs> Fucking people love that. It was the nineties. It was the nineties. That's why. Fair. Um, MTV Mo- Movie Awards. He was nominated and won for uh, uh, best male performance for Terminator Two. He was nominated for best dance sequence in True Lies. Best Kiss, also in True Lies, and Best Action Sequence for a film of his called Eraser because he did some free falls that apparently are very, very cool. Um, He had Kid Choice Awards. He was nominated for Running Man, for Favorite Actor for Running Man, and he was nominated and won for Twins, Kindergarten Cop, and Terminator 2. Conservatively, none of those are kids' movies. As we discussed, Kindergarten Cop is yeah. not a kid's movie. So yeah. I think kids just know faces and they're like, you. I, I choose I'm you. I'm not sure how that works, yeah. actually. Um, he also has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That doesn't surprise me. No, no. So now we're going to get into the less good side of his awards. We'll start with mm. the stinkers. Yep. Because there's only four of them. He was nominated for the worst actor for Last Action Hero, Jingle All the Way, End of Days, and he was nominated and won for Around the World in 80 Days. In, what, 1991 or something like that? Then there's the Razzies. This is going to be good. This is going to (laughs) be, this is going to be tough. Yep, yep. So he, in his defense, 
He had he did not win any of these, and he actually got a special award for being the worst Razzie loser with eight nominations and no wins. So keep that in mind. Is I that mean, a positive? Is that a negative? It's hard to say. It. I mean, runner up for like worst actor every like for all of these movies. I mean, at least nobody thought you were actually the worst. Yeah, but like, someone else always beat you. But, but like, everyone was like, "Oh, dude, you were you are not great." Um, so you were bad. He was nominated as the worst actor for Conan the Barbarian, Last Action Hero, Batman and Robin, End of Days, Around the World in Eighty Days, Expendables Three, and most recently in like 2021, Iron Mask, where he played Captain Hook. I want to say something like that. And here's the special one. So remember... Not, not the man in the Iron Mask, but no, Iron Mask. Iron Mask. Hmm. I didn't look into it. It did not look worth my time. And there's a lot of movies that are worth my time that are bad. This one did not look like it was worth my time. So remember I told you about The Sixth Day is about clones, right? Yep. So he, he was nominated for three Razzies that year, Neil. Okay. Worst actor playing whatever the fuck his name was. Worst supporting actor playing the clone, and then worst on screen couple for the scenes where he and the clone were together. That's funny. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't that not amazing? Arnold Schwarzenegger, God love you, you're doing great. Also starring Carl Weathers. Fucking classic. I love this man. He's great. Uh, known for Predator, obviously. Yep. Rocky, 1976, obviously. Good. Happy Gilmore, 1996, and then Rocky IV, 1985. Those are his, you know, tops, which I think that is a, a very fair... It doesn't include The Mandalorian, which I disagree with. The Mandalorian should be his known for. I would personally replace... Who did he play in The Mandalorian? Oh, Mando's friend. Mando! Mando's friend. Oh, fuck. What the fuck is his name? I just had this all open. Do I still have it open? I don't know. He's been in all the seasons. He's directed quite a few of the episodes, too. He's great. I love him, and I can't think of what his fucking name is. But anyway, um, he started film in 1975 with a film called Bucktoe. Then 1976, right after that, Rocky, uh, where he played, obviously, Apollo Creed. Then Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that was 1977. Rocky 2, 1979. Rocky 3, 1982. Rocky 4, 1985. Like he was boom, boom, boom. Just Apollo Creed this, Apollo Creed that. Whoa. Left. Whoa. Whoops. I got too excited. Left hook, right hook. Exactly. Head, body, head, body. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, then 1988. A film I have heard of but have not seen and I want to see so bad. Action Jackson. I, he I know more about Action Jackson as a reference. People say, all right, Action Jackson, or, or references like that. I need to see this film, especially because he plays Action Jackson. I'm, I want, I'm I not guess. Action Johnson. No, that is a different kind of movie. Oh. <laughs> I'm positive it exists. Okay. Are you looking it up? I'm going to look it up now. <laughs> Uh, he was in a TV movie called Dangerous Passion in 1990 that I just, I love the name and the the poster that was on IMDb was, it was of an age. Oh, I was thinking of Action Bronson. Oh, sure. Similar was, but different. Well, yeah, someone, I actually hate Action Bronson, but that's a story for another time. Yeah. I don't, is that a person? I yeah. Okay. Then I, I know nothing about him and I don't plan to. Yeah. 
Um, then In the Heat of the Night. That's a TV show I've definitely heard of, but I've never seen. Um, that was a show that ran from 1993 to 95. He was in 28 episodes of that. Damn. He was in Bolto 3, Wings of Change, in 2004. I think I only saw Bolto 1 and maybe Bolto 2. I, that's kind of where I'm at as well. I think I, I didn't saw even Bolto know there 2. was a 3. Dude, I think there's like 4. I think there's a lot. Damn. Yeah. The um, live action Bolto. Why? Was really good. Actually. Was it? Yeah. Uh, was that recent? Was, well, no, no. Let's Did see. I miss this? Let me, me. I don't think it was. I don't think it was uh, actually Balto. Um, live action sled dog movie. Iron Will. Oh yeah, yeah. Taylor. It's one of Taylor's favorite movies. Part of it takes place in Duluth. Hey, look at that. Yeah. Um, I wrote this one down not because I've seen it, just because I like the title. Sheriff Tom versus the Zombies. That was great. That was 2013. And then he is in the the Chicago series. So like Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago Law. Mm. He is, I believe, a, a, a district attorney or a state attorney or something like that. Awards. He, like I said, was nominated for an Emmy for The Mandalorian. Um, he won. This is the only award he's won is uh, uh, the Behind the Voice Actor Awards. He won for Best Male Vocal Performance in a TV special slash direct-to-DVD title, comma, or short for Toy Story of Terror, Commando Carl, something like that. Weird. It looks cute. And and after that, he was also in Toy Story 4, but um, this was a, a short that happened. I... Didn't know it existed. He was nominated for an NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Actor for Action Jackson. Okay. And I need to see the film. That's all. That's all I got. Yep. The, the final, like, star of this film is Kevin Peter Hall. You might not know his name, but he plays the Predator. He plays the man in the suit. He is, is he's so good. He's like um 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 Doug Jones type guy where super tall. He's 72, super tall, super thin, can fit in all the prosthetics and he is so just aware of his body and how to use his body in such a way. Um unfortunately, he died in 1991 of AIDS that he contracted from a blood transfusion. Which is That's, heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. Um but like he cuz he had such I think a career ahead of him of uh, doing all sorts of things. So he's known for Predator and Predator 2, obviously. Uh, he was in those Predators. Um, he was in Harry and the Hendersons, both the movie and the TV show playing Harry. And Without Warning in 1980. I, I, I didn't look into Without Warning, but his first film was The Wildlife in 1984. Then uh, he did a lot of TV, one episode here, one episode there. Um, then he was in Monster in the Closet, where he played the monster. A TV show called Misfits of Science that ran from 1985 to 86. He was in 16 episodes of that. Of that. that looked kind of fun. Then Harry and the Hendersons, The Predator. Big Top Pee Wee in 1988. He played Big John. And then his final film, Highway to Hell in 1991. Um, he also had a really good name for that, and I don't remember what it was. But, like, he... I'm so bummed. Because he. I really think he could have had a phenomenal career um, if it wasn't cut short. The last two people I want to talk about are our governor, Jesse Ventura. Jesse checks. We are, he does not have a wide or deep movie career. Obviously, he was in uh, world wrestling for 
a bajillion years. Jesse the Body Ventura, everyone knows. Like, I didn't even follow um, wrestling, and I knew about Jesse Ventura. I mean, not least of which, he was from Minnesota. He was uh, uh, born in Minneapolis. He lived in Brooklyn Park slash Maple Grove, which is where I grew up. He still lives around here. Does he? I thought he left after um No, I think he lives in, like, St. Cloud now. Oh, good for him. Um, um, I know he was recently in town when they passed the marijuana legalization because he was such a huge proponent. He was a huge advocate um, for it. Um, he He's a quirky guy. I think that's not speaking out of turn. He's a quirky guy. Oh, yeah. He's he's also real. He's looking, he's looking his age. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be 70? Question mark? Um yeah, his oh, fucking maybe he up. lives in Alaska now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he left the state. He did not have a good time as governor. Um, he was not a fan of um, the the media and the press, and and he was not a fan of Minnesota by the end of that. But I did not know he was the fucking mayor of Brooklyn Park for a while. Sure didn't know that. And then he became governor. That was wild. But as far as his film career goes, like I said, there's not a ton. But he was in Predator. He's known for Predator. Batman and Robin, he played an Arkham Asylum guard in 1997. Uh, he was a, a bit part in Running Man, 1987. He's got a bit part in Demolition Man in 1993. Um, he was also in a film called Thunderground, which looked kind of fun. Abraxas, which is just a great fucking name. That is oh, a great name. It's Abraxas Guardian of the Universe is the full fucking name. And that came out in 1990. He was in two episodes of a Zorro TV show in 1991 that also played something along the lines of, like, Big John or something like that. And then he was in Major League Two in 1994. Like, really? Jesse? Okay. But yeah, I just had to mention that. I mean, you can't not mention the Governor. Yeah, I mean... Oh, no, the other Governor. I apologize. The Governor is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep. Of this film, like, two of the three main people have been governors, so Carl Weathers, we're waiting on you, pal. You gotta keep this up. Come on. Jesse Ventura now lives in White Bear Lake and in the ba- in Baja, California. He splits his time between the two. Oh, White so Bear Lake a- is a lovely little town. Oh, I, t- I tried a new bar. Very cute. I mean, it's... It's the best way I want to put this. It's, it's, White. it's like third ring... Fourth ring, like, very like, white suburb. Very rich. white. Very yeah. rich. Um, it had great cocktails at uh, The Alchemist. Highly recommend. If you're in town, go to The Alchemist. Really great. Um, the gal who runs the, the restaurant knows her fucking shit, and she makes all of her own bitters, all of her own um, ingredients. Like, she makes them, she dries them, she does all the things, and she Holy creates shit. all the cocktails. The Alchemist was amazing. Nice. Free fucking advertising. Go to The Alchemist in White Bear Lake. Um, okay, so the final guy that we're going to talk about, this, Neil, was the one that I made you hold off on, uh, wait for me to finish my notes. His name is Shane Black. And when I was looking through, uh, uh, when I was looking through the cast, for because I like to pick up, you know, some random people that are in cast, like, oh, like Rue McClanahan. You don't have to talk about her in, in Starship Troopers. I almost said Super Troopers. You don't have to talk about her in Starship Troopers, but it's fun. Yeah. Shane Black, I was like, there's no way that the writer and director of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, 
Iron Man 3, fucking the nice guys, fucking lethal weapon. There's no way that that Shane Black was an actor in Predator. And you know fucking what? It was. It was. It was. That Hawkins guy who talks about his girlfriend's pussy all the time? Oh, yeah? That's this guy. You mean P-Star SSY? P-Star SSY? I should, that's what I should say. (laughs) I love that. It was so frequent throughout all the notes. P-Star SSY. I don't know. So, yeah, Shane Black, he is known for being a writer and director, for me, for the most part. I did not know he was an actor. I didn't even look into the rest of his acting credits. I probably should have. But I was just like, oh, my God. Um, so, the nice guys. That's uh, Ryan Gosling and Kurt Russell. Nope. Russell Crowe. Russell oh, Crowe. Okay. Um, people fucking love this movie. I have not seen it, but I have heard it is so good. He wrote and directed that. He obviously was a, a actor in Predator. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, that is Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. That was really the film right after he got clean. Oh. Um, so they're like, are you still good? And he's like, I can act. I'm good. I promise. And it's a good movie. It's, again, one of Taylor's favorite films. It's so good. Wow. Um, but I will say, Val Kilmer, his, his plays a private detective named Perry. But everyone calls him Gay Perry because he's a, a an out gay character. And I turned to Taylor and I said, that's very funny. And he goes, why? And I was like, you know, Gay Perry. And he never got that. And I thought that was fucking hilarious. I would never have put that together. Never? No. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'm maybe I'm broken. Also, writer and director of Iron Man three. Loved Iron Man three. So good. I, I think it's uh, the best of the Iron Men. I would agree with that. The Iron Man one will always have a special place in my heart. It sure does. But man, Iron Man three is it's a good story and it's a good character dissection. Yeah. It's so good. It's it was so refreshing to. <laughs> To have them be like, hey, this is just a guy who used to be rich and is now trying his fucking best to, I don't know, save the world and is, in his eyes, failing. Yeah. And just sort of the, like, struggles, Well, the mental struggle. Like, he has a mental fucking breakdown the in the movie. The fucking PTSD that he's going through after this takes place post-Avengers, so I guess spoiler for Avengers, if you somehow haven't seen it at this point, he brings a a nuclear device, basically, through a portal to another fucking, I don't know if it's a dimension, he almost dies. And the PTSD that he's dealing with in this film is... Iron Man almost dies a ton of times trying to save the... Well, successfully Successfully saving the Earth. Successfully saving. And then does die saving the Earth. Uh, Also... Fucking wild. In Iron Man 3, the kid whose shed that he fucking crashes in yeah. in, the, in, like, the early part of the movie where he, like, like the suit fails yeah. and, like, he's and g- having his, like... And the kid's got a major role throughout the film. Yeah, and, like, he has, like, his PTSD, like, breakdown. He's, like, dragging the fucking, like, you know, suit through, you know, some, like, kind of backwoods outside of New York. Uh... That kid is who is the, like, sort of odd person out at uh, his funeral. You're going to make me fucking cry. He's, like, the only Avenger that isn't there. And then uh, I think he ends up getting willed a bunch of stuff from Tony. 
Neil, I've not had enough coffee for you to tell me these things. I'm sorry. Back to Shane Black. Everyone go watch Iron Man 3. It's phenomenal. Um, Like I said, he's very, very good at what he does. He also wrote Lethal Weapon in 1987. So, like, basically the same fucking year as Predator. He wrote Lethal Weapon, one of my favorite movies. Mm. The and and I think he wrote on Lethal Weapon two, but then it's characters based on for three and four. But all four of those movies, so good. Also, The Long Kiss Goodnight in nineteen ninety six. He wrote that. Like I said, he directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, Iron Man three, and The Nice Guys in twenty sixteen, and The Predator, capital T, capital P, The Predator in twenty eighteen. Forgot that. Gonna have to go check that out. Um, he won. The Golden Schmo for The Nice Guys. He won Best Director and... No, he was nominated. I apologize. He did not win. He was nominated for Best Director and Best Screenplay for The Nice Guys. He won a Hugo, a Jupiter, a Hollywood film, and a Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award for Best Dramatic Presentation for a film that I didn't write down. I'm sure I thought I was going to remember what it was. I will. That's okay. Um, maybe it was for Predator. Maybe it's for Predator. Uh, he won a Saturn Award, or he was nominated for Saturn Award. No, it was for, probably Lethal. It's probably Lethal Weapon. It's probably. I bet you. I bet you're absolutely correct. Uh, for Horror Award, I uh, no, I don't think it was Lethal Weapon because that's not a horror film. At least I don't think so. Um, oh, The Nice Guys. No. Iron Man 3. That's what it was. He was nominated for all these fucking awards for Iron Man 3. That's because it slapped. It's it was a such great a movie. good movie. Um, he was nominated for a Saturn Award for The Last Action Hero, which he fucking wrote. Hello. That's amazing. The uh, uh, director and this, I don't know. I was very excited. I mean, so again, nominated for The Last Action Hero for Saturn Award. Also nominated for a Razzie. So like, win some, lose some. Uh, for The Last Action Hero. And then he was nominated for the Golden Camera uh, at the Cannes Film Festival for Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Huh. So, Shane Black, he's just a goddamn delight. So, Neil, we have reached the point. I know it's our, I know it's my favorite part. It's, it's your favorite part? It is damn near my favorite part of the opening It's of every time episode. for the numbers game. Numbers game. It's a numbers game. Hell yeah. I right. love it. So, numbers game for Predator. This film cost $15 million in 1986, which in today's money is $41 million, which is, it's not nothing. It's for sure not nothing. Um, Neil, can you guess for me, total box office, all in across all of the world, $15 million budget for Predator. I think this movie absolutely raked in the cash. I'm going to say 123 million. Would you like to guess a slightly lower number? Not terrible, but not nothing. 78 million dollars. Would you like to guess a higher number? Now look, I think I went too, I went I went too far too and far. now I don't far. know how far Somewhere in between, between to go. Somewhere between 70, would you say 70? 70 and, and 123. 123. <laughs> <laughs> so, somewhere in there. Uh $96,000,000. I'm going to give it to you. It was $98 million wow. box office. Wow. This film to say it made back its money is an understatement. Uh, yeah. Would you like to guess how much of that was um just the US and Canada? 
41 million. Would you like to guess a slightly higher number? Oh, interesting. I would have expected this to perform better outside the US. Uh, 52 million. Would you like to guess a barely slightly higher number? 56 million. 59.7. So, like, roughly $60 million of that. I'm going to say roughly $100 million. That was U.S. Wow. And, and Canada. Uh, so opening weekend, you got any good guess? What Are we starting oh, strong? Oh, no. We're not starting strong. No, because people wouldn't have known what the fuck this was. People would have said, like, oh, this is going to be spooky. And then it would have, like, and then people would have gone to see it. And then it would have done really well second weekend mm-hmm. and not really well first weekend. So I'm going to say $12 million. On the nose! Look at Let's you! Let's go! I am so impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that, so like, this movie, obviously, very, very popular. So, I forgot to look up fun facts. I was so excited about Shane Black, but I know one fun fact. Neil, can you tell me what image we are looking at right now in my notes? We are looking at what appears to be someone in the Predator costume. In a proto-Predator, in the early version of the Predator. And it looks like maybe Leonard Nimoy is in there? (laughs) Um, no, not Leonard Nimoy. Okay. I'm delighted that's what you said, though. It is Jean-Claude Van Damme was the original actor who's going to play the Predator. Wow. Why did why did Jean-Claude Van Damme get booted from I believe he left. Oh, he, he left. voluntarily left. I believe it was somewhere along the lines of creative differences. Or like he didn't know what he was signing up for. He this was early in his career, so he wasn't yet JCVD. Um I really don't even know what he's that well known for. I know the name, yeah, I, but I don't know what he's known I'm for. I'm trying to think if there's, like, a film that is JCVD. He's, he, it was a lot like, or akin to Arnold Schwarzenegger in the mid-80s, early 90s action um, movies. He has been in a billion fucking movies, and I could not tell you a single one. I guess Taylor and I, it was, it was on TV, we watched... Lionheart. I don't know. Lionheart. Bloodsport. Bloodsport. Yeah, Bloodsport. Perfect Kick, movie. No notes. Kickboxer, Lionheart, yep. Universal Soldier, Double Impact, Hard Target, The Expendables 2. Oh, yeah. He's a big time 80s action movie guy. He's very well known to being able to do the split sideways. Very Whoa. well known. He does that in a shocking amount of his films, or did at the time. Um, so that's the only fun fact I got. But as far as reviews for Predator goes, now I do not know, and I did not look into what the reviews were when it came out versus now. Because now, Mm. obviously, it's a classic. Now it's a cult classic. Everyone fucking loves it. Everyone loves this movie. So I'm just going to give you aggregate. I'm just going to tell you what the internet told me. You make a bit up what you will. Makes sense. Google, 90% of Google users or, or reviewers like this film. It has a 7.8 on IMDb. Huh. The Metacritic, this is the only one that was like, eh. Metacritic is 47 out of 100. For the critic score. For the critic score. But 8.6 out of 10 for the user score. So critics were like, not quite a movie. Yeah, not quite. Just just, just shy of a straight M up movie. and down capital M movie. But then you look at Rotten Tomatoes, 
81% critics, 87% audience. It is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. And then Letterboxd, it's got 4.8 out of 5. Like, that's a solid fucking movie. Um, yeah. The Rotten Tomatoes summary is, quote, part sci-fi, part horror, part action, all muscle. That's that's a good summary. That's a... I love that so it's, much. It's actually very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Neil, you, like you said earlier, yes. you have recently seen this film. I have, yes. In the last couple of months, I have seen this film. I have not seen this film in several years. Excellent. So I am delighted that to, watch to watch it again. Nice. Um, expectations, uh-huh. science-wise, what are you... Th- you had teased a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, So in the, in the mini-sode, I did tease a little bit about kind of expectations for science. I know that there is some active camouflage. We're going to have a fun time talking about that. I know that there is heat vision. We're going to talk a little bit about infrared um, infrared spectroscopy and, and how we use that to see things, um, which is actually how the James Webb Space Telescope... Oh, my God. The <laughs> James <laughs> Webb Space Telescope looks into the past. Every time you say that, it gives me chills. Yeah, fucking... Uh, yeah, we can see, like, almost to the beginning of the universe. That's fucking wild. Yeah, it's... it's the universe, Neil! Yeah, it's it's pretty bonkers. It's fucking magic! Yeah, and they, they found some shit recently that they're like, we don't know what that is. That's weird. Do you... You read a lot. Have I, you read Anathem? No, I have not read Anathem. Okay, Anathem, it's a Neil Stevenson book. Okay. Where... Science is literally magic. The magic of science is researched. I think that Taylor did read it and or read most of it, and he'll be able to tell you more. Every time you're like telling me things about the fucking universe, and I'm like, that's magic. That makes me think of Anathem. I mean, there's a really famous quote from a sci-fi slash fantasy author that uh, I think it's Arthur Clarke, who uh, says um, any sufficiently exi- uh, advanced technology um, appears to be magic. Yep. Um, Electricity? Magic. Magic. Yep. Doesn't make any fucking sense. Nope. But I do know that there is some bad science in this movie. I mean, it was the 80s. It was the 80s. Are you telling me mud will not? Nope. Don't answer that. I'm going to wait until our next episode. That will be something we talk about. Okay, good. I am excited to talk a bit about the things that are in this movie. So that's what I got. I am so excited. I My expectations are just a good ass time. I want to turn off my brain mm-hmm. and just let it wash, let the blood wash over me. Whoa. The blood and the mud just, I want to I kill something. I don't know. I'm, I'm very excited to, to watch this film. Oh, I yeah. am excited for the sheer amount of machismo uh-huh. that is in unavoidably going to happen. Yes. Um, I, I am in a weird way excited for the weird sexism that I'm also sure is going to be in there. Oh, it's in there. It's in there. So, yeah, I, I'm ready for muscles. I don't know. I'm ready for machismo. That's really, that's my most excited thing I'm excited about. Lit. I'm all about it. I'm very tired. You know? So... I think it's time. Should we go I, watch a movie? I think we should go watch a movie. All right. We'll be right back. Bye. Be right back. Oh, <laughs> fuck it. Bye. Okay. We just watched The Predator. 
They it's sure just, did. It's just Predator. It's, it's not just, the Predator. Yeah, The Predator, separate movie. It, its yeah. own movie, it right? Is its, that I is its the own Predator movie. The Predator is its own movie, and I think it's one of the reboots. I probably should have looked into that. I didn't. I think we talked about it in the intro. I think you're right. The um, Predator is a 2018 film. Yeah. Yes. So, just Predator. And Neil... Okay, so I told you I was going to do this. I would like to read for you oh. the entirety... It's going to take just a minute, and okay. I promise it's worth it, uh-huh. of my Letterbox review. Again, you can follow me on Letterbox at 2D Fruity, T-U-D-Y-F-R-U-D-Y. Nice. <clears throat> Predator, 1987. Four stars in the Letterbox like, so spoiler alert. Good. This is the most 80s movie that has ever been made. Yep. Nice. Hell yeah. That's it's, that's actually true. It is. Except for maybe The Expendables, which wasn't an 80s movie and should have been. It wanted to be an 80s it movie. It really it wanted It wanted so hard to... It wanted to be Predator. Oh, man. The MacGyver movies, though? Did... I don't understand. Anyway, continue. Okay. Don't worry. Predator... And I... The last time I had a, a feeling like this after watching a quote-unquote classic movie was... Um, I watched Top Gun after several years. I was probably in college. It was one of my dad's favorite movies, so I saw it a lot as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I watched it in college, and I was like, this is also one of the most 80s movies ever made, but in a completely, in, in a more clean-cut Tom Cruise way and not yeah. an Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. macho man way. Yeah, yeah. But it is so cliche. Oh, yeah. But it's not cliche because it's the first one that ever did it. It is the cliche. It is the cliche everything that came after is referencing this movie which i never realized i also never realized and i had never like prior to this year i had never seen it and i didn't know what i was missing until i sat down and actually watched it and it turned out i was missing a fuck ton of like pop culture references truly okay like everywhere so we're gonna fucking get into it but there's like two memes that i see all the time oh yeah did not know it was from this movie oh i knew it was from this movie like it had been told to me before and i forgot and then i saw it happen and i was like it's the thing it happened suffice it to say i am delighted (laughs) i really enjoyed myself hell yeah so much so that i i only took notes through half the movie because <laughs> i was like what is happening oh but as i sent to you in an email or a text or something the movie itself doesn't start until partway through the movie so i don't feel too bad about it yeah no the movie itself doesn't actually start for like eh, 20 30 minutes yeah it's literally like a third of the way through that i because i had paused so i could get my laptop out and i was like oh we are Shockingly, we are far into the movie. Yeah, it's got it's got beautiful act one, act two, act three segments. It like does. they are distinct, and it makes it really nice because you don't have to pay attention to anything that happened in act one, nope. and then you're sort of like getting your bearings, and you're like, oh, stuff's you're starting still, to happen. You're and still then settling you're, down, and then you haven't fucking missed anything nope. for act two. Absolutely. And then you're like, oh, I'm kind of in it now. And then Act 3, you're like, oh, boy. Oh, shit. Here we go. There's mud. Um, There's lots of mud. So much Spoiler mud. alert. Spoiler alert. Lots of mud. Hey, speaking of mud. It's yeah. not really speaking it's, of mud. It's, well, But that's, that's going to be in the questions. It but is in the questions. Neil. Yes. Do you have anything for a... Wait, for a... Science Corner. Hell yeah. 
Hell yeah. Uh, I trying do. new things. I have, I have, yeah, we're trying all kinds of new things today. <laughs> um, I've got fun things for the science corner. Um, today's special topic for the science corner is actually going to be camouflage. Love that. Do you want to go through your questions now as well as a discussion of camouflage, or do you want to go through your questions as we encounter them in the plot? I think let's encounter those questions. Nope, gonna yep. stick with that. I mean that tracks. Yeah, um, let's encounter those questions as they come up, and then let's. But let's get into some. Let's camouflage. get into some camouflage. Okay, I'm gonna share. I'm gonna share a little secret with the folks at home. We're flying really off the dome <laughs> today. Normally, I prepare like. Actually, a good amount of notes on some camouflage. You do some real research for I the show. I do some real research for the show. Today, the research is a little lacking. I'm going to start you with two things. We're going to start with, if you want a really in-depth explanation of, like, lots of asking smart people dumb questions, mm-hmm. you should go listen to the episode of Ologies with Ali Ward, um, called Invisible Photology. I love that. And which, we will have this link and I will several put this others link, in the... I will put this link in the show. Yeah. Um, I fucking love this podcast. I know you've told me I've, about it. I've talked about it a little bit. It, I, like, rediscovered it recently. One of my friends listened to it a lot when I was, like, in early grad school, and I just didn't have time for podcasts. And now that I have time for podcasts again... I'm really enjoying this one. What's your um, favorite episode you've heard so far? Maybe the indigenous melatology episode. Ooh, what's that? It's the study of indigenous bees. That's fucking sick. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. I also didn't realize it was a thing, but it turns out that bumblebees are technically an invasive species. What? They are helpful. My little bumblebee? Yeah, but they actually come from Europe. And okay. they are not actually an American species of bee. And bees in the US don't really look like bumblebees. No, they they do look not. They're a little harder. They're not as Yeah, soft they're a little fuzzy. harder. They're not so bumbly. They're still very friendly. Um and they still kind of, you know, do the same kind of wandering around, mm-hmm. but they look a lot different. They're also usually a lot smaller. They can be as large as a as a bumbler, but they don't quite bumble the same. Mm-hmm. Uh because bumbles bounce. Bumbles bounce. Oh my um, god, they're so fucking cute. They're so very cute. Love them. Anyway, derpy derps. Um That's also a, And what is that name again? Indigenous melatology. Indigenous melatology. Yes. Great. Uh yes, study of um of bees also the um fire ecology and indigenous fire management practices episode is very cool. You should tell that to Taylor because he was just talking about indigenous fire practices. Hell so. yeah. Uh, very 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 good episodes. Um it's actually a two-parter. Uh, one, they bring in a just a guy from California who studies fire ecology. I learned about firehawks. I had never heard of firehawks before. I also it's a heard. group of like three different hawks in Australia that will pick up burning sticks and start forest fires like nearby to where a forest fire is happening to be able to hunt their prey more effectively. I am shook yeah i think i love that also you fucking assholes but like that's kind of a that's 
fucking amazing. Yeah, it's really actually pretty fucking wild. Also, there's more there's more fire happening today than there has literally ever Ever been been happening in the past because of how badly we've treated Mm -hmm. the land in terms of like fire suppression Mm -hmm. for the last 400 years. Yeah, because we said no fire. And And then actually like rounded up people who like did still practice like indigenous and and, and like safe fire management practices um, to be able to take care of the land. And it turns out that because we've been doing this, like humans have been like like managing the land here for the last, you know, tens of thousands of years, the ecology here works really well when you have a, a lot of little fire. And it's it's working a lot less well now because we have a lot of big fire. Yeah. Because we we fucked up. Canada has been on fire literally all, all year. Yep. It's wild. Yeah. Anyway. That was not about the predator, but that that's was super not interesting. About, yeah, it was not about predator. Very interesting. Also, lest we forget, fire is a plasma. Fire is plasma. That's true. The so anyway, we'll so link, the we'll link to ologies with Ali Ward in the in the in the show notes. Um, specifically, I'm going to put a link in there to the invisible photology episode. Um, also, if you are really science inclined and you like reading Wikipedia articles. For those of you that like that, there is a very good Wikipedia article called Metamaterial Cloaking. Awesome. Love that. Um, which is really cool. And we're going to talk maybe a little bit about in a little bit here. But um, we're going to talk about uh, camouflage. The idea of camouflage is that you are trying to hide something from usually something that sees in the visible spectrum but it's not always and in the in in normal day-to-day life we see camouflage in the military yep we see camouflage on uh duck hunting boats is Just the one that comes hunters, to mind. In, hunters general, in general and and their equipment and the bumpers of their f-150s Blum for out. reasons that i don't quite understand don't understand but that's okay also their real tree pickup screen yep. On the on the back window of their pickup. Um, slightly less uh, uh, intimidating, but just as neat though. I, I showed you the link earlier of the Dragon Con carpet camo. Yes, Dragon I, Con carpet camo. I absolutely will also have links. Super cool. I I love loved it. that actually that a lot. That was actually a really cool study in like how. How you design camouflage. Yes, yes. And um, you had mentioned there was a guy who designed camo for a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can... Um, let me see if I can pull up that guy. Um, I'm going to try and... Hold on. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a little moment here. A little little sidetrack. See if I can go find... Yeah, he's... Okay, here we go. Yeah, he's a, a Canadian telecommunications pioneer. Like, that's what his family was. This, this guy's name is Guy Kramer. Um, he's from British Columbia. We got to get out of here before someone kills Guy. Yeah, I Sorry. love that episode. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, he is a paintball champion. Awesome. He, he just is really good at paintball. And then sort of also does started designing camouflage. Just stumbled into it? Yeah, kind of. I think I think the, probably what ended up happening is that like you sort of are like military adjacent and part of like pro camouflage, like there are scenes of the sorry, pro paintball. There are scenes that like 
there is indoor and there's outdoor like pro paintball. And mm-hmm. when you're doing the outdoor pro paintball, it's usually just like in, in a real environment. Yeah. Um, that's just like, you know, cordoned off and like, hey, we're having a paintball tournament here. Um, and so I, what I assume ended up happening is that he sort of just kind of naturally transitioned into like, oh, I really don't like any of the camouflage he that's like easily available. Yeah. I'm just going to like design something and have it printed onto some clothing and see how well it works. Mm -hmm. And just ended up being really successful. Um, So he says that um, shortly after uh, the camouflage was released for um, Canada, Canada adopted a new style of camouflage for its armies in 2002 military. Um, he posted some of his own digitally rendered creations on the internet in protest, quote, with about two hours and a hundred dollars graphics program, (laughs) I managed to do a better camouflage. (laughs) Um, I'll be honest when the U S changed their, there's everyday, uh, camo, their BTUs from the kind of traditional little more, uh, I'm going to call it fluid. Pixelated. Yeah. When they changed it to the pixelated one. Yeah. Huge blunder. Five billion dollar blunder. Five billion? Oh, I hated it so much when I was a kid. Yeah. It's bad to begin with. Yeah. It's Uh, so fucking dumb. It also... Okay. So here's... Okay. Here's... Let's talk first about why camouflage works like in general. The idea is that at large distances... Um, And sometimes a large distance is relative term. It doesn't actually have to be that far away, depending on how the camouflage works. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that the human eye um, sometimes is really good at grouping things together. And sometimes it's really bad. Mm. Um, And what is happening with a camouflage usually is that you're looking at something and your eye is saying, that's not a coherent object. That is many different things all overlapping in a successful camouflage. And, you know, successful camouflages actually don't have to be many different colors. They can just be a color that your brain doesn't see very well. Um, There are lots of animals that have, uh, you know, various gray and brown colors of coats that are all a uniform color that your brain just doesn't interpret very well because it thinks of everything in the woods that it would normally see as being that color. Yeah. Um, And there are also other colors that um, Disney has a patented um, color green that they call look away green or like invisible green. Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, here, I'll fucking pull this up. While you pull that up, I want to take just one minute to kind of explain why we're talking about camo. So Predator, um, in the film, the Predator is the this alien being who came to Earth to uh, hunt man for sport. And he has some alien technology that effectively makes him invisible. Yes. Which is... Sick as fuck. It is sick as fuck. And not entirely outside the realm of possibility, according to science. We'll get there. Excellent. There, yeah. The 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 short answer is yes, but no. <laughs> I'm um, gonna get you that hat. I need to do it. Um, the 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 slightly longer but still short explanation is that 
we have technology that does something like what the technology that the Predator does, mm-hmm. but we don't have a way to make it happen at a large scale all over a person. Okay. Um, it would it would take a remarkable set of things, and I'll explain sort of how that works in a little bit. Okay. Um, back go to Go green. Away Green. I've never heard of which this is before. Disney's fucking patent. It's it's it refers to a set of proprietary colors used in Disneyland and other Disney amusement parks to disguise parts of the park infrastructure. So it's like staff doors, light posts, some of the bridges, like. Things that Disney doesn't really want you to look at and be like, that sticks out. It's outside of the bubble. It's outside of the bubble. And so they they like sat down with some scientists and were like, we want to come up with a color that will make things blend into the background. That's fucking And your brain literally has a hard time remembering that it has seen this color. Shut the fuck up. Like you look at the at, you'll look at things like a door and your brain won't process that there's a door there. It won't process that there's a lamp post. It literally is like looking it's 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 the so there's usually camouflage works really well when a you either are breaking up the outline of something and you are forcing the eye to see something as multiple things, or you are using an optical illusion effect where the brain is focused on something else and then you subtly put something else in the frame, forcing the brain not to pay attention to it. There are really good, like, uh, there's a really good demonstration of this that's talked about in the Ali Ward podcast where like a scientist, um, you know, is giving like a TED talk effectively. And he he, sh- he shows a video and there's a bunch of people bouncing back basketballs back and forth. And he says, I want you to pay attention to the basketballs. I want you to follow one of the basketballs throughout the entire video. And at the end of the video, you know, it's a fairly long video, a couple minutes probably. Um, you know, he 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 says, OK, great. Like. Um, how many of you think that you did a really good job of tracking the basketball? And you know, a bunch of people raised their hand like, oh, yeah, I was really good at tracking the basketball. And then he says, okay, and how many of you saw the gorilla in the video? And in the Shut middle the of up. the video, a man in a gorilla suit walks into the middle of the fucking frame, stares at the camera, beats his chest, walks out of frame. Shut the fuck up. And the number of people that see the gorilla in the video is like, you know, five out of, you know, hundreds of people in this presentation. Um, And it's a really good example of, like, forcing the brain to not see something as a result of it really paying attention to something else. Mm. And Disney takes advantage of this by the fact that you are really paying attention to all of the things that make Disney Disney. And they've chose a color specifically that your brain does a really good job of ignoring if it's paying attention to something else. Because your brain just sort of treats it as background. It's like, oh, that's just that's just green or that's just sort of a blue, gray, green color mm. that just is in the environment. I don't need to keep that information. And it just doesn't use it. That's amazing. It's so astounding. I'm going to try and find this. I mean, you you don't have to try. They're literally all over the place. It's all over. It's literally just the color green that's there. But when you go back and you look at things, you're like, I don't remember there being a lamppost there or like, 
oh, I don't remember, you know, these features that were here or like they use it to like hide staff doors and like use like hide entrances for the park for like maintenance staff. Do scientists know that this color does that? Oh, they just did studies. They just they just sat a bunch of people down and like tried to come up with like colors that they were like, "Eh, probably. And then eventually found a color that they were like, oh, this one works really well. Just by, like, sitting people down and asking them to, like, pay attention to something and then asking, like, oh, did you see this thing? And they're like, oh, yeah, it was, like, hot pink and, you know, it was in the corner. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's not a good color then. And then, you know, eventually they narrow it down to the fact that, like, humans really don't have a good way to distinguish greens. Like, uh, that's not a great, actually, turn of phrase. Humans are really good at distinguishing the color green in relation to other animals. We actually see more colors of green than a lot of other animals see because it's so important to, like, the food that we eat Mm. that you can tell a various shade of green from another shade of green. Because depending on the plant, a lighter shade of green might mean good to eat. A darker shade of green might mean, oh, fuck, you're dead. Mm. Um, And so we're really good at seeing... Um, different shades of green, but also when your brain is paying attention to something, it also knows that green is a really common color and it's going to just ignore it. So they just eventually kind of just stumbled upon this as like a psychological feature of humans that like, hey, if you kind of make a color that's like pretty off tone, dull, something that your brain sort of historically would assume is part of the background, it won't remember it being there. Like, it'll just be focused on whatever else it's doing. And this is a really actually sort of common tactic for making a camouflage is to just make a distraction Mm. and then don't, like, pretend that nothing else is happening when, in fact, there might be other really, you know, things happening. Like, a great form of camouflage is actually just to hide in plain sight and pretend that you belong wherever you are. Yeah. Like that is like if you walk with if, confidence. Oh, if you walk will with confidence, people will leave you the fuck alone. Yeah, and that's a that's also a form of camouflage. Yeah, is because like it is a like way to be somewhere without effectively being seen or stopped or interrupted. Ninjas did not wear all black. All black. No, absolutely not. They wore normal people. Clothes. Yeah, they were fucking assassins. Yeah, they they weren't moving around in the night. You didn't see them coming because they were just part of your staff. Yeah, and then they were just. Not there after were you gone. were dead. Yes. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. But, you know, people had all these fun ideas about them running around in the night because they could never find them. They could I never was, see the is people. Is that why they got the, the That's part black? of it. That's so interesting. Um, there's also, I mean, there's also probably a lot of, like, racist media portrayal uh, that plays into always? that. Isn't there always? <laughs> um, and, okay, so back to camouflage. Yes. So... So we have the, the, like, two kind of main styles of camouflage. One is, like, take a, uh, a set of colors, kind of make a pattern out of those colors that your brain sort of weaves into whatever pattern is behind it, which is how the, the camouflage for the floor works. Yes. Your brain is like, oh, this is just, like, this is how the pattern is working. And as long as you're not paying attention to the pattern really specifically, mm-hmm. your brain will do a really good job of just saying, whatever, not paying attention to that, just yep. blends it in. The U.S. military back in 2004 adopted a new kind of camo, which is the digital camo that you're talking about. So dumb. Uh, they're, they're affectionately called ACUs as opposed to BDUs, mm-hmm. which are the, the like old style 
um, green kind of wavy, smooth patterns. Designed for more or less... Uh, jungle operations. Yeah, yeah, jungle operations. Yeah, the new one is supposed to be designed <laughs> for urban and desert environments because at that time, the U.S. was spending a lot of time sending soldiers into urban and desert environments in the Middle East. Yes. Um, turns out that it was entirely unsuccessful yep. and very bad. Yeah. And soldiers complained about it immediately, saying, it doesn't matter where we are, we stick out like a sore thumb. And it's because the colors that they happened to choose don't cause the people to blend into the background. They cause your eye to lump all of those colors together and say, that is a lump of colors that looks like a person. That sure is a person who is wandering around with a very large gun. Yes. And so it was effectively $5 billion of rolling out all of this new camo for everyone except the Marines. Because the Marines are like, absolutely. The Marines were like, fuck no. Um, And they had their own um, different set of colors that they use called Marpat. Yeah. um, Which just is Marine pattern. Sure. Um, And they swear by it. No one else is allowed to use it. I think they have two different sets. One is like a darker set used for for like more wooded environments and the other one's a lighter set used for um desert urban environments Interesting. Okay. um and supposedly they both work really well mm-hmm. the marines swear by them um everyone else in the military who was issued the new acus um including the army uh the navy used them for a little bit but i think they switched to using a different style the military effectively wasted five billion dollars of taxpayers money because they literally went to Home Depot and were like, this is a color swatch that we like. And then they had to pay for the patent for that color swatch. And then it also turned out that the patent for that color swatch was owned by some, like, designer company. So they had to pay a bunch of money for it. They were extorted by Home Depot. It, uh, not specifically Home Depot. It was whoever owns the patent for that, like, for that, color. For that particular name they of color. to Home yeah, let me see if I can find the... I have here. I have the article. It's I called $5 Billion Camo Failure. fucking can not. Um, oh, my God. This is why we need to audit the Pentagon. Yeah. Oh, the Marines even found one of the baseline colors themselves for the... Um, Yeah, f- called Coyote Brown. They went to Home Depot, looked at paint swatches, and said, We want that color, said Annabelle D- uh, Dugas, a textile technologist at Natick, who helped develop the pattern. That particular hue, she added, was part of, uh, part of a paint series then sold by Ralph Lauren. $5 billion. I, I hurt on my, on my inside. Correct. Like somewhere near my soul, I'm in a lot of pain. Yes. God fucking bless. So cool. Yeah. Um, good stuff. So five billion dollars. Five billion dollars of taxpayer money that they fucking wasted on this pixelated camo thing. Because they've reversed it, right? They don't use those anymore. No, they don't use it anymore. There's a they they sat down and, and were like, okay, we need to actually like De- like scientifically develop a set of colors that is going to work better because we have the ability to do that. This is what happens when you cut corners, everybody. You yeah. have to go back and do it again. This is also what happens when you just don't consult a scientist. Truly. 
is that like you <clears throat> there's a small small chance that you will just stumble on the right answer probably not though just um, ask a scientist Always just ask just a scientist check. just check and a scientist will be able to say hey you know what that's actually in this field you'll be able to find it if you go over here just ask a scientist just ask a scientist it's gonna be uh, they're issue. usually really happy to help yeah um and even if the scientist you asked the first time is not, you will probably be able to find one who is. Yep. Um, we call that nerd sniping, in fact. Nerd sniping? Is that yes. a real thing? You just make that up. No, nerd sniping is a real effect where if you give a someone, if you like are just hanging out with a nerd and you... You can just like send people down rabbit holes Which where you they have done just to wait, me. yes, where like <laughs> someone just ends up down a rabbit hole like for a long time, just completely derailed from whatever the fuck they were just doing. That is called nerd sniping, so and there is a wonderful comic about nerd sniping people in traffic. <laughs> um, oh, Jesus, here let me let me find the. I think it was coined by nerd sniping. That's fucking um, magical. Yeah. So this is an XKCD comic. Oh yeah, um, and this like the the guy in the black hat. If you're familiar with XKCD comics, the guy in the black hat is a bit of a nefarious character. Yes, he causes trouble in all kinds of circumstances. And in this particular comic, which I guess I will now link in the episode because we we've successfully nerd sniped ourselves <laughs> with nerd sniping, um, which I it, I love actually. Um, in that particular one, he is nerd sniping electrical engineers crossing a like busy intersection. Um, and he holds up a, a pattern of, um, different wires and resistors and says, calculate the voltage between these two points. And the person just sits there for a second, like, oh, but maybe you could do it like, oh, but no, then you have to count for, and then like, and then a fucking truck comes through and just smashes him. And he just thinks it's fucking hilarious because. Uh, that's good. Cause I think it's um, hilarious too. Physicists are, yeah. Physicists are two points. Mathematicians are three is, is what, uh, is what. The black man in the black hat says. Oh, that's so funny. Um, so uh, now that we've talked about kind of how the eyes see camouflage, yes, um, there are and that is visual camouflage. That is visual camouflage. We can also talk a little bit about uh, the physics camouflage, which is how do you make something disappear in regards to a particular spectrum of, or a particular region of the electromagnetic spectrum. Which we would read through instruments, not eyeballs. Uh, yes, or eyeballs. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. The, the eyeballs see the visible part of mm -hmm. the, we call it the visible light spectrum. Makes sense. Because that's what we do with it. We see we it, vis it's visible. We visible it? Yeah, we visible it. Yep. Um, the idea is that... In the same way... Okay, so do you know how iridescence works? Uh, the kind of shiny, shimmery... Thing looks, on like a butterfly's wings yeah, or like a carapace like for a fun bug or fun, fun colors yeah, on a well, bird or something like that. I don't know how like it works, that. but I know I've seen it. You know you've seen it, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so the idea behind how it works is that you are passing light through multiple layers of some sort of material. And then as it goes through those layers, it gets bent or stretched or... Um, changed slightly 
And then when it comes back out, it builds itself back up again as it comes back through all these layers, slightly sort of offset, maybe slightly changed in terms of what frequency it actually uh, is. And then you get out these like really, really beautiful you know, iridescent patterns of different types of light that all seem to be, you know, a plethora of different colors. I always that think of like greens and purples as yeah, being greens, usually purples, very iridescent. Blues are really common ones. Jewel tones, if you will. Yes, jewel tones. Um and the like that's just how that works is that it's it's a material that you're passing the light through and it it changes the light. It spreads it out. It changes like what is actually like what colors are actually there. And then it broadcasts them back at you with a bunch of different colors kind of superimposed on top of each other. Um, and it's a really cool – it's a really cool effect. Um, happens in all kinds of things. It can happen on like thin films for a uh, like an oil. If you see like an oil slick, oftentimes you'll see and that there's a, like a parking lot or yeah, something. Yeah, there's like yeah. a little bit of an iridescent pattern on top of the oil that's happening because of the layers of oil that are there, layers of oil and mm. water. Um, as the as it goes in, it's being reflected and refracted in really interesting ways and then bouncing back out and you're seeing the light being split and then separated and then broadcast back in really weird ways. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and so it turns out that you can also use that effect to make certain frequencies of light disappear. And the idea is that um, light has a phase because it's a wave. Yes. Right? And so if you have if you have a material perfectly set up so that when a light beam comes in, it goes in, it splits, and then it, the half of it gets broadcast back out. It gets reflected out of phase by 90 degrees with or 180 degrees, kind of depending on the situation, but usually like 90 um, with the wave that got broadcast in, now all of your peaks are troughs and all of your troughs are peaks in the and wave. It just kind of and it out. perfectly overlaps. And we call that destructive interference. Why and destructive? You, because you no longer have a wave. The amplitude oh. of the wave is destroyed. Gotcha. Okay. Um, there is also constructive interference where, where if you have two wave. waves and they're just like perfectly in phase with each other, the wave gets really big. Mm. Um, so, so kind of like, um, they've, I've seen this in, um, probably YouTube, but also at garden stores, they've got little glass beads. You put little glass beads in a glass container, you fill that container with water, glass beads disappear. Okay. That, that is also a kind of camouflage, but it's actually a really unique kind of camouflage because the beads themselves are already pretty transparent. Yes. And the reason that you can see the beads when they're in the air is because, A, they don't have exactly the same um, uh, um, index of refraction as air, which just sort of says, like, how does light change in a material? We mm -hmm. call that the index of refraction. It changes the speed of light in a material. It can also bend the light as it enters the material. It can do different things. It's a really fascinating property. But... Needless to say, the beads don't. The beads have the same index of refraction as water, mm -hmm. uh, and so part of the reason that you see them while they're in the air is that the index of refraction is a little bit different, and because you can physically see the edges of the material, and it's being the light is being bent in weird ways at the yeah, edge around those edges. Yes, when you pour the water in there, 
Now the bead and the water have the same index of refraction, and so as the light goes through the water, it doesn't change as it passes from water into bead. And so the beads look as if they have disappeared. Mm -hmm. And that is also a form of camouflage. You've made something effectively invisible by hiding it in something that looks the same. That's so fucking Or that it is very similar to. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are some ideas that people have floated around for how you would make a material like that. There were early, um, early ideas in science fiction um, where... The idea was how, like, maybe we have a material that's completely transparent to all forms of visible light, so you can't see it at all. Um, but to some other form of light, it's, you know, completely opaque, and you can see it very clearly. So if you could see in the infrared spectrum, mm -hmm. or if you could see in the ultraviolet spectrum, maybe, you know, this structure would appear as being just very rigid, solid, distinct, but in the visible light spectrum, just not there. So, coming back to Predator, full circle, mm -hmm. Mr. Predator has a helmet that, sh I guess, that's heat that he's seeing. But We'll talk about that in the episode. It's Yeah, it's coming up in the episode. There's a little bit of a spoiler? I don't know. But if his helmet could uh, maybe switch between being able to see heat versus visible light versus maybe infrared light, he would be able heat to... Heat and infrared are the same thing. Really? Yeah. Heat vision and infrared vision are the same thing. They're just called two different things. Okay, I have so many more questions. We're going to come back to that then. Yep. Let's, let's focus, Emily. We're going to focus. But if you could switch between visible light and infrared, there would be scenarios where something that is not visible in infrared is nicely visible in, in, the, in the visible range. <laughs> like um, a 300-pound man covered like a, in mud. Like a fucking 250-pound Arnold Schwarzenegger covered in mud. Yep. Excuse me. Um, and the... But also, going back to, to Predator, um, Predator uses a form of active camouflage that, if it, if it were possible, uses the, the first kind of optical <coughs> camouflage that I described, where the light... Like, that's, that's a lot like iridescence, mm -hmm. but instead of... Um, the, the, the really weird part about it is that the light goes in and it just doesn't come back out because it goes in and gets sort of destructively interfered. And so you would probably just notice that there's something that's just not right there. Yeah, It would be absorbing movie, or like not reflecting any anything. light. So it would look maybe all black. That would make um, more sense if it's just being absorbed, right? But in the movie, it looks like you can kind of see little distortions around his body. Yep. But you can effectively see through him. So if you just saw it out of the corner of your eye, you wouldn't even notice. No. Um, and the other way that uh, his, his camouflage might work is that there are tiny little cameras everywhere around the suit and everywhere on the opposite side of the suit it's just projecting whatever the vision or whatever light it gets from the other side out the front i won't lie i kind of love that it's a it's a remarkably good form of camouflage and if you know how to use it well it can be really effective what would you be projecting on you it would just be a screen Right? Like it would be like an LED, 
Like a like a TV. But like a, oh, like on his actual arm. Like his suit his is actually suit. like a television screen. <gasps> and the what it is like showing you is just whatever it is on the, the other cameras side. on the back side of him see behind him. Oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And like that's a fairly realistic kind of camouflage. Um it's not practical. It's not particularly practical. It is achievable, though. That's cool. Um, in the sense that, like... You Neil can, said it. Predator's real. You can probably... You can build, you know, a whole bunch of effectively miniature LEDs. You can string them all up in a way that, like, they're in some sort of flexible sheet that you could wear. And then have little cameras also mounted in there that are looking at, at light and just anywhere that, like... You know, how you did the math for how it projects where that 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 light is going would be a little weird, but it could be done. It's just some complicated math. Um, and then you get uh, you get a form of camouflage that looks like anytime you're looking at it, it looks like whatever's behind it, which is sort of how a chameleon do. Mm. A chameleon look at like looks at what is behind it. Or, like, what it's hanging out on and then just sort of says, like, I'm going to be just all that color. And then it just blends into that thing, which is also kind of how cuttlefish do it. But cuttlefish do it a little bit differently because they're, like, physically changing some of the pigments and patterns in their skin, which is really wild. Same with the mimic octopus. Yeah. I want to go down a 45-minute rabbit hole on chameleons, but I won't. But know that that is a deep desire of mine. Okay. I will find an episode where we can do it. Love it. And folks at home, please send us movie recommendations that have specifically something to do with chameleons. And that's that's actually most of what I have for the camouflage portion of the episode. It's just like... Can I ask a question yeah, yeah, of something yeah. that you mentioned ages ago? Oh, hell yeah. That I don't even know what episode it was on. But it was something along the lines of stealth bombers. Oh, yes. Okay, okay, okay. So... Back to the iridescence thing. Yes. Where you have um, some material that has some weird, like, internal layering going on. And then, you know, either it causes, like, an iridescent pattern because the light goes in and gets, like, broken up and then split out. And then, like, different gets broadcast back, slightly spread out in a particular color region, making it look like it's kind of weirdly shiny and not nor necessarily behavior that you would expect. Mm -hmm. Stealth bombers actually use the same kind of technology where it's a particular layering of a, of a kind of molecular structure in um, either the paint or the physical material of the plane. Science is fucking wild. Yeah, it turns out that um, this is actually talked about in the Invisible Photology episode. I wonder... No, there's not a good link to it. But um, there's some interesting history behind it, which is that there were some guys playing around with materials at a lab. Um, and they were like, hey, we found this material that like is like just doesn't show up on radar very well. Um, what's going on? Like, we understand that like this, we're just not getting a signal back out of this. It's just, oh, sorry. It's just absorbing the signal. Why is it doing that? And it was one of the first times um, in like scientific uh, discovery history that people were like, oh, it's not just 
what you put into the material. It's how the material is organized on a on like an atomic structure or a molecular structure level that dictates how it like sends light back out or how it sends, you know, photons back out. Because radar, based on some other conversations we have, radar sends something out. It sends a kind of light. A kind of light out. It and then it measures the bounce back. It measures how much light it gets back from something. And that can help them determine how far away a thing is. Yes. If something has Or a, how big it is. Or how big it is. And if something has fucking bitchin' ass uh, paint that scrambles that light or the angles or whatever so it doesn't send the quote-unquote correct amount back. Yeah. Then no one knows! Exactly. So so <gasps> stealth bombers use a couple of different technologies in order to minimize their radar signal. One of them uh, is the fact that the material that is like is coat that coats the plane is actually a material that is very absorbent to different frequencies of radar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and radar is an acronym. Yeah, let me um, sorry, this is my nerd snipe. Yeah, no, no, it's it's good. It's a good one. Uh, radio detection and ranging is technically what it stands for. Okay. It's not quite an acronym. It's sort of something a little bit different. Um, but it's using radio waves to um, gauge how far away something is and its position, um, as well as depending on how much back you get, you can generally tell the size of a thing. So we can we know that we can make something relatively large, like a stealth bomber, seem small or in, or or completely, completely not there. Not there. Can you make something small seem bigger? Is that possible? Make something small seem. Can you bigger. like psych people out and say, "Oh my God, there is a." huge ship coming. We got to get everything ready and up comes a tugboat. Kind of. I can... Okay, so I could think of a couple of ways that you could do this. Mm-hmm. Not exactly sure why you would do it. Just to scare people. But just to freak people out. Mm-hmm. If you know exactly what frequency the radar is being broadcast at, you can just broadcast a signal back at that radar. Oh, and it would think and that it would it's a bounce think back? that it's the same signal. Ooh. And there are really effective ways of creating really directed pulses and uh, of different kinds of light. And especially like radio is a pretty easy one to direct because it's really large. Um, it ha- it's very easy to guide. Um, there's a whole like subsection of physics and electrical engineering and optical engineering and that deals with waveguides, mm. which is like, how do you create cavities that direct um, different kinds of electromagnetics well? And it turns out that radio is actually a pretty easy one to direct. Um, and you can create a pretty direct pulse. And as long as you knew like exactly what machine was being used, I think you could probably freak someone out by like pulsing at that radar station and fucking them up. That'd be kind of fun. Um, which could be a good way of like 
internet love of creating interference if you wanted to just confuse the fuck out of somebody. Or like, look over here, something big's happening, and then sneak in from the back. Sure. you That would also be a good way to do it. Um, or you could just broadcast a signal so strong that the, the radar system just is like, I can't read anything. And so it's like, well, we know something's happening, and we know someone's probably coming, mm-hmm. but we... We don't know where or when or why or any of that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other way that you could maybe do it um, is if you had a really small thing with a really big reflector on it. Hmm. Like if you had a pretty small boat and you put a really big like antenna dish on it. And then pointed that antenna dish in such a way that, like, you were deliberately trying to make it look bigger than it was. You could have it so that, like, if you're if you're pointing at the, excuse me, if you're pointing at the station that's, like, broadcasting radar at you, you would look really big. And if you turned a little bit to the side, you would look not big anymore. Mm-hmm. And that could be very confusing. Um, but I, I don't. I've never thought about that before. So these are sort of just hypotheses. You are welcome. They might... I also sometimes don't like thinking about these things, (laughs) especially out loud, because (laughs) I'm sure that there's someone for the military who's thought about them in the past, but I never really like touching on things that are, like, explicitly military stuff that's like... Well, if they've thought about it, they can email us at here's the problem pod at gmail.com. I would actually really rather they didn't. Um, but anyway, um, yes, stealth bombers use a combination of absorbent uh, materials and specific angles to deliberately... Um, reflect the radar away from a a point source that is directed at the plane. Mm -hmm. So um, the idea is that you angle all of the panels so that there really aren't very many panels that have a nice direct, like, back back. at um, from really any angle. There might be a couple of small angles that you get direct bounce backs from, but it's meant to minimize those as much as possible. So yeah, so the, it, it looks smaller, but it doesn't look like a void. It doesn't look like nothing. Yeah. It. Well, it I does sort of look like a void because when you have when there's nothing present, the radar doesn't get a signal back, mm-hmm. right? So it just broadcasts a signal, and if it doesn't get anything back, it just assumes that there's there wasn't anything there. there. Yeah. Right, And so if you broadcast a signal at the plane and the plane just scatters all of that information or absorbs all of it, and then it doesn't get anything back to the thing on the ground, you either have to have multiple radar signals knowing what other radars are projecting and then collecting information from other radars, which can be very effective, a very effective use of triangulation. Um, Can also be really confusing, though, if one of the radars broadcasts a signal one of them picks up a signal and doesn't the the original radar doesn't get one back that would it would it probably they've done math to know how to handle that situation but it is a very complicated situation to begin with math occurred math occurred someone did some math um probably a great many people did a great amount of math yeah. and i'm glad that it's not me yep absolute hard same this is why i keep you around so i don't have to math nice or Research things that are not 
who directed this film. Yeah. Um, and I think, unless you have any additional questions, I've just... I'll be honest, I have expounded a on camouflage for about an hour. You were so concerned that you weren't going to have anything to talk about. I Look, <laughs> I didn't say that. I said that I didn't have good notes this time, and I said I was going to go off the dome. There we go. I never said I was bad at going off the dome <laughs> into great detail on a subject about which I know very little. Hey, you know what? Talk with confidence. Talk, Talk with, with confidence. confidence. Absolutely. It's something I've learned very well uh, and have to use very carefully because I've had a lot of people in my life tell me, if you tell me something confidently enough, I just won't question you. I have told you and that. And I <laughs> get very concerned every time someone says that. Because I'm like, I am wrong very frequently. <laughs> well, I am very confident in you for this time. You did enough research that I'm sure you've got a baseline. Also, most, I will, I do have to recredit Apologies with Allie Ward. A lot of the information that I'm pulling here just comes straight out of that episode. Please do listen to that whole show, but this episode specifically, that sounds super interesting. It is very interesting. They talk about a lot of really wild things, and Allie goes down a couple of weird rabbit holes physics-wise and mispronounces some things, and it makes me cringe every time. I mean... I, I don't blame her because you would need to know... You the name of the physicist who discovered the thing to know how to pronounce and it. the fact that they aren't American mm. or that they aren't European and that, in fact, I believe he was either Brazilian or Argentinian mm. and the name is not uh, Majorana, it's Majorana. Majorana. Yeah. And yeah. so there's a there's a subatomic... That's hard to know if you haven't had years of schooling. Yep. There's a, there's a subatomic particle structure called a Majorana fermion. Um, Please say that again. Majorana fermion. Phenomenal. Yeah. Majorana fermion. It is a particle that is a fermion that is also its own antiparticle. Um, the particle that is an antiparticle? That is its own antiparticle. Meaning that if it interacts with itself or with another particle that is exactly like itself, it annihilates. Neil, we do not have time for you to bring up... I did not. I'm sorry. <sighs> I did, I did another nerd snipe. God damn it. Look. Now I have to do research. Uh, you can just ask me offline and I'll tell you about them. I will do that. We'll have more donuts. Okay. That sounds good. That sounds really nice. Okay. On that note, Neil, when the fine folks at home are not listening to you here, where, my dear friend, can they find you? Folks at home, if you're not listening to my dulcet tones. Dulcet tones. Here on, so here's the problem with that. You can find hashtag me. Hashtag shitpewit. Hashtag shitpewit. Uh, you can find me on a and uh, d 5e um, actual play podcast that I uh, did with a bunch of friends. Um, had an absolutely lovely time called Bad Rolls Out. Did and still do, right? Um, we're on a indefinite hiatus. Are you? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it is for the best. We yeah. sort of kind of hit a point where it was like, we've been doing this for like three years. It's a long time. Maybe we need a break. Yeah. Maybe that was, maybe it was just that one. Get and, your creative juices flowing again. Yeah. And so. But there's uh, still new episodes coming out. No. Nope. I thought there nope. was more. We okay. are we are fully done with the primary campaign. We have some of a second campaign recorded, but we 
Um, aren't sure if it's gonna. Weren't sh- we're not sure if we're gonna finish it. So bad rolls out. Bad rolls out is season where you can. Yes, yeah, season one. <laughs> Uh, called The Lightning Tree. Awesome. You can, that. Yeah, it's very good. Um, you can go listen to me and a bunch of my friends have an absolutely silly, hysterical time playing uh, D&D and, and just uh, romping around. <laughs> um, and if you're not looking to listen to my dulcet tones, but you are, in fact, uh, trying to ask me a question, you can either get in touch with um, the podcast itself, which Emily will plug later or you can go find me on instagram which is the only social media platform that i really use anymore i am at that underscore higgs underscore guy h-i-g-g-s that's all lowercase um and uh yeah and i have definitely sent neil science questions about completely unrelated things i've seen something on instagram i'm like neil is this real and he's like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of times where it's like, uh, no, definitely not. Nope, nope, that's just Instagram being Instagram. It sure is. Uh, you can find me. I am also on Instagram, but I'm not going to add anyone I don't know, so don't find me. I am on, technically on Twitter. Haven't been on there in a minute, so actually don't find me there. I'm not on social media. That's what I've just decided. Oh, nice. Uh, but the podcast is both on Twitter and on Instagram at sci-fi problem pod, S-C-I-F-I problem P-O-D. You can also email us at here's the problem pod at gmail.com. Like Neil said, you can send him science questions to his Instagram. You can send science questions to the podcast Instagram or Twitter. You can also send science questions to the email. Hit us up. We are ready by we, I, mean, Neil. Correct. <laughs> Ask me science questions. I get excited about them. It does not have to be connected to a movie, but if there is a movie that you know of that has a very interesting science question, please let us know and we might talk about that movie. Also, to all of my science-oriented friends out there who specialize in fields that are not the fields that I specialize in, if you hear me say something wrong or you would like to weigh in on something that I have said that is maybe not quite right or maybe not technically correct, please, please, please write into the show. I would be more than happy to correct myself on air and insert your lovely uh, corrections yeah. uh, where relevant. We'll have a science corrections corner. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. Um, yes. So like I said, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or X, or whatever the fuck it's called now, and email. And Brother Neil. Emily. We have reached the point where we must ask our flock. Ooh, yes. May we ask them pretty please on our knees to do what, Neil? Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. And why do we do that, Brother Neil? It is to please the almighty algorithm in the cloud. Praise be to the algorithm. Praise be to the algorithm. Uh, Yes, we get uh, shown to more people if we get reviews, subs, as the kids call it, Mm. and... uh, Like and subscribe, Like and subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. Smash that like button. Oh, my God. But if you would like to share the the gospel of science, please tell your friends and family. Please let them know that we're pretty cool. We have our moments. And uh, Shamelessly plug your friends. Absolutely. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. I said what I said. No, I said what I said. I'm not taking it back. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, But, yes. Uh, please shamelessly plug uh, for us because we will do the same. We just think it'd be really fun to get more more uh, science 
converts. So that's yeah. where I'm at with that. It's a good time. It is. Neil, did I forget anything? I don't think so. All right. Is there anything you would like to say to the fine folks at home? Um, enjoy your science, folks. Bye.